Playoff time. We got a little NBA playoff show for you on That's What G Said podcast. It is Friday, April the 15th, and I wanted to be able to have our conversation with Dave Handelin from the Minnesota Timberwolves, the radio play-by-play statistician there, because we talked to him all the time. He's helped us preview the NBA the last couple years, and the T-Wolves are in now. They had a really big win the other day. That was one of the, uh, the, the biggest wins for the Timberwolves in the last 20 years or so. They just haven't had many playoff moments, and so it was an exciting way for them to come back and get in. So this will be an NBA-heavy episode, but I'm going to give you a little bonus horse racing action. We'll give you some best bets for Saturday. Woodbine. Woodbine opens up on Saturday, and then we'll do Sunday a couple plays for Woodbine and Sunday Santa Anita. So you'll get a little extra Saturday and even some Sunday racing on this episode. We'll begin with NBA, with Eric. We're going to go series by series with Eric of all the series that we know. So we talk about the six series after the play-in games. Then we'll be able to know the other two, and we'll talk about those games on Better Than Vegas on our BTV Bets live streams, that live stream schedule over at betterthan.vegas. It's all free, free analysis, handicapping information, handicappers, gamblers all around the world providing insight, information, just trying to help you learn, become a better gambler. I'm always learning. I'm always trying to become uh, the best that I can. And Eric and I uh, will be on there with Kyle talking basketball every Monday through Friday during the playoffs. Our live stream will go at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time before the evening games. Saturday and Sunday coming up this weekend, we'll be live at noon Eastern time previewing the Saturday four-game slate, and then the Sunday four-game slate. Come hang out with us as this episode is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas. Everything's free over at BTV. Now, I wanted to do like a dive into baseball, but to be honest, it's like looking through and, and starting to, to... There was nothing that's been crazy. Normally in early parts of the season, right now there's someone that's 7-0, and and there are a couple teams that are like 0-7, but we don't, we don't have any of that. Everybody's got at least two losses. Everybody's got at least two wins. Nobody's been crazy yet. The Mets are 5-2. and two. They're up top in the NL East. Phillies, Washington, Braves all kind of struggling a little bit out of the gate. In the Central, the Cubs have had a nice start for them. They've won four of their first six, so they're 4-2 and two to start with the Cardinals and Brewers right behind them. Pirates at 3-3, three and three, so I guess you could say a solid start for them. Projected to be one of the worst teams in the league, as are the Colorado Rockies, but they won. Uh, two of three from the Dodgers in their opening series, and they're four and two to start. Dodgers picked up a couple wins over the last few days. They've won three in a row, and the Giants with a nice start for them. They're at four and two, a good start for the Padres. They're at five and three, so the NL West has all got off to a pretty good start in the American League. On the East, in the East, we've got the Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, and Red Sox, all with three losses, and all probably going to be pretty close to each other throughout the year. In the Central, the Guardians got off to a good start. Still feels weird saying the Cleveland Guardians. And uh, the White Sox, they're both at 4-2. and two. And Stephen Kwan has just been unbelievable. Player for the Indians, hitting over 500. He's out of nowhere, rookie. Not swinging and missing at all. He did go 0-4 over 4 in his last game, so... Things will start to get a little more difficult for him, but always fun stories to see uh, guys that are raking early on in the small sample size. And then out west in the American League, Houston off to a nice start at 4-2. and two. Oakland, even after all their moves, they still are able to uh, 
to, to get over 500 through their first seven games. Angels, Mariners, and Rangers round things out there. But yeah, like I said, nobody's 0-7 or 0-8 or 1-8, and nobody's got undefeated or just one loss. Everybody's it's baseball, right? Everyone's just already uh, settling into the uh, win a couple, lose one or two, back and forth. The long haul, that is baseball. We'll, we'll have a couple more you know, baseball deep dive segments as we get deeper into the year and we have a little bit more numbers, more of a sample size, more stuff to dive into. We can really see who the good and the bad teams are. We're going to start talking some NBA with Eric in just a moment. Before we do, we have to talk about full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Now, she can help you out as a full-service realtor really with anything that you need, buying, selling, leasing. Maybe you just are looking for home improvement. She'll connect you with the right type of vendors, people that she's worked with and she has experience with in her own homes, gardeners, landscapers, painters. Maybe you need help with a a loan. She'll connect you with the right type of lender that will get you pre-approved and will make that process so much easier for you. She works in the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, but she can always help do a free market analysis of your home's value or If you're outside of those areas, she can connect you with someone that she knows in your area that she trusts that will really help you out. She is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. She's going to make your life a lot easier. CindyCarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's get into the NBA with Eric. This is a a real lengthy deep dive. We go series by series, positives, negatives, bunch of stats for each team. We kind of talk it out as there are a lot of injuries and it's going to be tough trying to make full series predictions and bet full series prices this is going to be a lot more of a game to game playoffs for me at least in the early stages Eric joins to talk NBA playoffs as we preview each of the series NBA who's hot who's hot who's hot who's hot it's time to talk some NBA playoffs and we have been here for the last couple of years, Eric has been here with me each and every week, talking through the season, talking through NBA, who's hot, who's not, what's going on, major storylines, who's moving up, who's moving down. And now you're here, we've got a, a nice, fun run through the playoffs ahead. We're recording this on Thursday night, so we only really know six of the eight series as of now. So we'll talk the most about those series. We can talk a little bit about the, the number one seeds in Phoenix and in um, Miami, who are just sort of awaiting their opponents right now. But Eric, uh, as we record here on Thursday, we've got a pretty good idea of what the uh, the playoff bracket will look like. We've got four games that are going to be set up for Saturday with all those four series started. We'll have four more set up for Sunday, and we'll know on Friday night which two of those other teams are going to be playing on Sunday. So I love these first few days of the NBA playoffs because if you're a basketball fan, there, are, there aren't that many times where you get like in a bunch of – Good NBA games sort of throughout the night Or kind of back to back to back And you get some of them on the weekend in particular It's sort of like how how Christmas is You know you get those days Those games all throughout the day Saturday we've got 1 Eastern 3.30 Eastern 6 Eastern And 8.30 Eastern They're basically staggered every two and a half hours Yeah it's great It's going to be a nice nice day of basketball Hopefully uh, we get some good games And hopefully we make some money Let's jump in and, uh, and start kind of previewing what we've got. So the first game on Saturday is going to be Utah at Dallas. Now, I'm seeing Utah right now 
as about a four, four and a half point favorite on the road. And this number has moved up, Eric. When it opened up, it was around three. And and the reason why this number was even leaning Utah is because we now know Luka Doncic is not gonna play in game one. Yeah, he's definitely out. And the fact that I mean it's it's Thursday and they announced it Thursday before the front it wasn't man they didn't have to release an injury report until tomorrow. But the fact that they released it out Thursday makes me think this is a bigger thing and he may not play. And if he does play, he's not going to be 100%. We remember uh, Durant when he hurt, um, when he had his hamstring injury. He came back um, sooner than he should have towards, like, had an Achilles tendon, tendon tear. The hamstrings, calves, those take a while. Um, so I would be shocked if he played at all. Um, on the flip side, you have this Utah team that's exploding internally. You have um, Mitchell, who won't pass the ball to Gobert. Gobert, who's a lost puppy dog in the playoffs in pick-and-roll defense. So it's a real interesting matchup. And until I see kind of how the first game plays out. Oh, yeah, I can't I touch this game. I don't, I don't really want to get involved in it because we don't know. Because there's and- a lot of, like, unknowns. That's what's so hard is because, you know, everything that we look at, everything that we handicap, Luca got hurt at the end of the last game. It's not as if we even have a sample size to see what it was like without Luca or how they would be operating right now. So it's so hard because everything I'm about to tell you for the Mavericks, we can take this all with a grain of salt because all of this stuff came with Luca. You know, his left calf strain now. But because in his final, in his two previous playoff series, he averaged 33 and a half points per game. 8.8 rebounds and 9.5 assists per game. Yeah. This team, it's a bummer, Eric, because in the previous weeks, this was the team that you and I were were thinking about targeting and wanting to play. Because after their February 2nd loss to OKC, it was it was sort of like things flipped for them. They've won 20 of their last 27 games, and at that moment, they ranked dead last in clutch time efficiency. Since then, they are the NBA best in clutch net rating. Luca's got it into better shape. They made a trade, so they have an identity now. They go a little bit smaller. Their defense was really good throughout the, the lot of the year. Eighth in point differential, 14th in offensive rating, 7th in defensive rating, 7th in net rating, and their defense dropped late because from January through February, they were a top four team in defensive rating. Since March, they dropped a little bit. They haven't. They've been just outside of the top ten in defensive rating. They uh, let's see. They will be playing against a team who's going to want to score a little bit more in the paint. Utah does that a little bit more than they do. Um, and like you said, with Utah, it it would be a great spot for a team that you felt pretty good about, right? Because you go oh, all of a sudden you're missing your best player. But we saw Utah spit out the series. Last year when the Clippers Had no Kawhi Exactly. I mean and What's hard about Utah is Hell a lot of the stuff that we look at Utah They score and they grade really well On a lot of the advanced metrics and stuff They're number one on uh, shot quality on In the adjusted shot quality Rankings they're number one Because the way they play they're very Efficient they have the number one offensive Rating they are number one In points per possession and Donovan Mitchell ranks fifth all time 
in playoff points per game for players with a minimum of at least of 25 games. He's behind only Kevin Durant among active players. He averages 28.9 I mean, points per game. He had that tear in the bubble. I mean, that he, tear he had in the bubble was, was nuts. And only Dominique Wilkins is the is the only other player among the top 20 players in career playoff points per game that hasn't been in a conference finals. The other 18 of those guys all at least made the conference finals because you think about it. You're like, these guys are scoring 25 plus a game. They're probably going to be able to carry you there. But he he even with that incredible production for him for him, they've still struggled. And one of the reasons what 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 hurts them, Eric, is people attack Gobert and they go small. And so when Utah tries to go small, it doesn't work. They thought they could yeah. go small this year and bring in Rudy Gay. Their lineups without a traditional center got outscored by 16.7 points per 100 possessions in 440 minutes this year. That's not a small sample size. No. And they've allowed opponents to shoot 68% on dunks and layups. That would rank dead last in the league by a wide margin. So you've either got Gobert, who can't really switch out and guard the smalls, or you go small, and then it's freaking layup lines for whoever you're playing. Yeah, I mean, they they have some huge inefficiencies, and, I mean, they may be able to get through this um, this series. Without Luka, because of, or without because of Luka. no Luka, sure. Yeah, because of no Luka, but, I mean, having them go any further than the next round, I mean, with what's going on there, what, like, you just, all the different defensive stuff you just said, and then you fact in that Mitchell only passes the ball to Gobert two times a game, which is absurd to me. Like, this thing is just ready to implode. And, I mean, the, the, what, they play Phoenix? There's no way they're going to beat Phoenix next. Like, no, no way at all. No. Not, What's no. the series price that you see? The series price, according to Bet Online, is minus 310 for the Jazz, plus 260 for the Mavericks. Yeah, we've got Utah. They were sixth in point differential. They were tenth in defensive rating, third in net rating. It, it, it just there's so many things about this group of players that you said though that you just don't like. You don't feel good about, right? We've seen them collapse in the playoffs two different times now, where they were in great situations. First in the bubble with Denver, and then last year with the Clippers, where it was another perfect situation for them. They've and lost no Kawhi. Yeah, and going off like it's. They've lost six games this year when they had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. That's the most in the league. They have blown second-half leads of 25 and 21 to the Clippers and Warriors just in the last couple weeks, just just recently. They lost seven of their last 11 games to end the season. You mentioned the Rudy Donovan dynamic that's not good. Even the Quinn Snyder to the Laker rumors and stuff like that. You know, you hear things like that going on. It's just... There's, I would have, I wanted to attack them. I've always wanted to attack them. I, it come playoff time, but like you said, this might be a team where I'm gonna stay away, and maybe I play, you know, Dallas in a dog situation after I watch a game or two, and and maybe I attack some Dinwiddie props or something like that. But I just, I don't like much about Utah, but they might have gotten a really lucky bounce in this series and a, or a lucky break with with Luca not being in there because any team. Missing a guy like Luca is going to be in serious trouble. Like, there's no chance Dallas has of winning at all. Can Dallas win a game or two and maybe buy him some time? Yeah, maybe. yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. 
everything is so centralized around Luca that I mean, at least now they've got a Dinwiddie type to that can handle the ball a little bit. Because if it was Porzingis here with no Luca, they'd be in trouble. Because they would they'd have be, anybody, yeah. they'd be in serious yeah. trouble. And Dinwiddie's great. I love him, but I mean, it's just a band aid. He can't, he can't be your guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's not your guy. I, he I can mean, at least dribble the, the ball. Yeah, with the issues the Jazz have. I mean, he could make it interesting. Maybe they could sneak out the series with how good defensively they are. But, I mean, this team's ceiling just became dramatically less. Utah, 49-33 and this year. 33-45-4 against the spread. Dallas, 52-30, and 46-35-1 against the spread. Let's move along to the second series on Saturday that opens up Minnesota at Memphis. We saw the T-Wolves. Eric, man, that was a that was a good win for them because a lot of things went against them there. They they missed a ton of free throws. They got awful, awful play from Carl Anthony Towns, who I guess we can't be all that surprised because he hasn't really played well in the small sample size of playoff games that he's been in. He was like just jacked up. It was like he the the moment was almost too big for him. He was making really, really silly decisions on on when to go get a rebound and just fouls that were not smart fouls. And maybe one or two of them shouldn't have been fouls, sure, but they weren't smart decisions on his end. Just wrong times to challenge. And down ten points with like eight or nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, they came back. They got big big efforts from Anthony Edwards and the one guy who you and I talked a little bit about the other day on our. Um, uh, NBA show and I agree with you I don't I don't think if D'Angelo Russell who was a former Laker I don't think If he's like your one or your two You you could win I do think he slotted pretty well In Minnesota as being their Third guy as someone who They don't need to count on every Night but in a night like the other Night when Carl Anthony Towns went freaking MIA It was nice to have someone like D'Angelo who's not afraid of the moment now that can get you into some trouble sometimes, but you know, I compare I look at it like a Laker fan, right? And I look at how things were stacked up for the Lakers this year. D'Angelo does a much better job of taking his cues as the third guy and understanding that I'm not quite as good as the other two guys, and so I'm gonna have to pick and choose my spots. Compare that to someone like Russell Westbrook, who was trying to slot into be the third guy this year, and he just couldn't do it. So I I, I liked what I saw from him. And from from them and this should be a pretty fun Series there's a lot of cool good Young players in here and these two teams I'm I'm excited that one of these two teams Gets to move on and if You kind of think about you know the way that Things are with a Luka Injury Steph Curry we're going to talk About them in a minute he's probably going to come back but Who knows what version of him These two teams if, if you know if jaw Looks healthy they could be a little bit Feisty for a round or two I think until they maybe ran into a Phoenix Team yeah um, it's going to be interesting because after the game, it was like they won the ship with how. Oh my god! Minnesota. People were laughing. I mean, it was a little, a little bit. It was much. no, it was not um, a little. It was, it was, it was freaking hilarious. They were jumping on the tables. People were no. tweeting, and the TNT said, "Okay, br- turn it off. We, we're done with the playoffs, everyone. Thank you. It was a great run, and they were laughing. So, can they?" Like emotionally, at least in this first game, right? Yeah, after a game or two, I'm sure they'll settle back in and just start playing basketball. But in this first game, are they going to get sort of like punched in the mouth because they're like 
just kind of happy to be playing again. And we don't know what's going on with Ja. So that's like, I would love to take the Grizzlies here. If Ja was 100%, I would have took that right off the opener. Um, we did see. So what, what are we seeing right now for uh, the line for this individual game? And what are we seeing for the series? The series price is Grizzlies minus 400. T-Wolves plus 320. Uh, the line we're seeing, it was around five. It's drifted all the way up to seven. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, because of that. You know, I kind of missed it. You know, maybe I'll get something live if the Grizz start off a little bit slow. Um, and also, we saw um, Towns was pressing, you know, made some bad mistakes. Beverly was a little bit too hyped up. Uh, there wasn't that real calming veteran presence, even though Beverly's been around the block. We saw, like, with the Pelicans, what a great job CJ did in the atmosphere it was last night. Like, dominating the first half and then letting Ingram kind of take over. But him doing that in the first half kind of allowed everybody to get into their flow a little bit, took the pressure off them to start. Yeah. And the Timberwolves really don't have like that dude. I mean, Beverly's great and everything, but he's like an ant. You'd hope, you'd hope that's, that's D'Angelo, you know what I mean? And he's not really that type of player. Offensively. What's nice is he can, he can at least, He'll at least he can at least get a shot and make something happen for himself. So that's you. You sort of need him to be that guy, and for them, it's going to be all about Ant, right? They need this is the type of if if he is the type of player who takes a big leap, these are the kind of things that happen, right? You end up winning a series or two a year or two before you should, because yeah. someone like Anthony Edwards shows up here and averages thirty points a game in this series. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah, how it has to happen for them. You know, that's something like that because this Memphis team is good, man. Some uh, some of the key things that I'm looking at. But and if some, they don't have Ja, and we really don't know, like what you know what I mean. We really it's don't hard. Know we don't know. Don't it's know again more. like think about all these teams with Luca, with Ja, with Curry. We can go through all these metrics. I'm going to read a bunch of stuff here. But if Ja Morant isn't out there at 80, percent all of the stuff about them being 20 and five without him. That doesn't matter in the regular season. It's way different now. I mean, it matters knowing that these guys at least have have know what to do or what they're supposed to do, and they have a couple guys that you believe can go get a bucket. But you can't do it in a series against an, another good team that's going to be targeting you and playing defense on you and knowing some of your weaknesses. And everyone has to play up a level that won't work. It, Jaw was incredible last year in the playoffs. They lost in five games to Utah, but he averaged over he averaged over thirty points a game. He had a forty seven point game. Yep. This Memphis team, their average age is twenty four point four years old. They are the youngest team to finish with a top two record since minutes became official in nineteen fifty one, according to ESPN stats and info. And so this this average is based on weighted playing time. So. How how many minutes like the younger players play And based on this metric They would be the youngest team ever To make the NBA finals if they do this year Which is remarkable Incredible remarkable. And I mean I really I I want them to Is the Suns to lose in all honesty And I mean they There's just no team in the West With the Luka injury Um Curry uh, really not being a hundred percent. The uncertainty about Curry, how much Utah, play really all the cra- crazy Utah stuff. Does Jokic I mean, have enough with Denver? Like you Denver's really go th- tired. Denver's, Denver's tired. tired. I mean, he had to carry Denver. this load, and 
All these guys have had to play and carry a little more than they're supposed to. It's yeah, it's 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 really wide open if it's not Phoenix, it anyone else as far as just getting to the conference final or winning a couple of rounds. You've got Memphis who is fourth in point differential, fourth in offensive rating, sixth in defensive rating that puts them at fifth in the net rating in uh in the, the four games against Minnesota this year, they were two and two. Both teams won their two home games. Jaw didn't play all that well in all four of those games. He did play, and he only averaged 20 points per game in those. Desmond Bain, he's one guy who just took a massive leap forward this year. He's averaged over 18 points a game, um, and he's shooting over 43.5% from three, just kind of out of nowhere. You got Jaron Jackson Jr. who is now like his second year back from an injury And this is the guy who they thought he was going to be He's a defensive player of the year candidate He only missed three games this year He's averaging 2.3 blocks per game They won 19 of 22 games 19 of their last 22 games at home In doing so, they became one of only only three teams That had 30 wins at home this year They're a good team Good home team they beat Minnesota Twice at home you just think about it If this series ends up going back and forth It's nice for them to know they're going to get a game Seven at home where they've performed Really really well Their paint this is one thing that I love Eric uh, this is one of the cool stats They've averaged they averaged 57.6 points in the paint That is 4.3 more Than any other team this season That is the third highest In 26 years in which points in the paint have been tracked 56.9 points in the paint Per 100 possessions Were the second most over those 26 years Topped only by the Denver Nuggets in 2012 Because of the dominance inside They actually rank fourth in offensive rating And when you look at the rest of their metrics You're like How is this team fourth in offensive rating? Because they're 26th in mid-range field goal percentage They're 17th in three-point percentage And they're 28th in percentage of their shots that came from three The key for all of them Is scoring inside And yeah. it's it's pretty incredible What their coaching staff has done And you, you look at their roster They're like 11 or 12 deep Of real NBA players Yeah, I mean they have a legit roster um, You know, Jenkins has done A hell of a job um, But I just I don't know, like that Marat, Morant injury really has me a little worried About them Shout out to Jaw who ranked third with 20.9 drives per game He led the league with 16.6 points in the paint per game That's only been topped by Shaquille O'Neal Who did it eight times Giannis who's done it three times And Zion in the last 26 years So only four guys have been better inside the paint Than Jaw has this year As a team they led the league with 18 plus uh, 18.7 second chance points per game Steven Adams led the league in defense uh, Led the league in offensive rebounding Percentage so The things they do well Points in the paint and fast break points And uh, second chance Points they generally go down In the playoffs all of that stuff Goes down right the game isn't as Up and down it's slower it's more of a Half court game so some of those Maybe hustle points that they would get Because night in night out they're a young team They're playing hard That's one of the things that worries me when the game slows down a little bit If your guy jaw isn't at 100% They're going to have to be a little bit better And sharper from the outside So just some fascinating things to look in On the Memphis side What do you 
Now what are you thinking about this This is another one that I gotta kinda see what Like I think where you're going to Gotta see a little bit from Jaw before I feel One way or the other I think Memphis wins the first two games And I'm gonna bet Minnesota the third game I mean like that right there I'll probably stay out of it um, But that's your feel thing, That's my feel and I mean I'll be honest The thing with with these playoff games Like in our DTV show I always mention how I play First half unders more than game unders those get inflated. Like if there's like hypothetically the game on Saturday, it like blows out, and let's say it's like I don't know, like a one thirty five to like one ten, one twenty win or whatever for Memphis. That the total for the second game is going to be inflated, and you can get in a like an inflated first half under. So I'll probably look to do something like that. But again, like you got this Minnesota team, and. I mean, if I just tell you in the playing game, Paul George is going to go for 34, Towns is going to have 11, Beverly's going to be in foul trouble, you know, um, Towns is going to be in foul trouble, and they're going to be down 10 with eight to go, you're going to tell me the Clippers won. You know what I mean? So I just yep. I just don't trust the um, Timberwolves team. Um, Finch made some ballsy coaching decisions, letting those dudes in who were in foul trouble. He did, and it panned it, out. And yep. if it didn't pan out, he's getting sandblasted the next yep. day because that's why they lost. He gambled on his guys, and it won. You know, maybe if Pop would have played Murray more in the second quarter after he picked up two last night, two quick ones, maybe it would be a different story. But we don't know. It worked out for him. What's going to happen? Um, I think the Grizz have a huge, like a huge coaching advantage. What Jenkins has done with them is. Astronomical, especially yeah, it's, it's, twenty-two and three when Morant doesn't play. But it's funny because from a tactical advantage, I completely agree, one thousand percent. I will give Finch some credit just for like these guys play hard and they believe and they believe in him and their team, Minnesota. But they're they're not like a smart basketball team. Just like the oh, way they all. play basketball, they do a lot of stuff on the court that it's hard not to have that reflect on your coach a little bit. But I mean you sort of look at some of their players right Like I know in watching D'Angelo He does just some goofy stuff sometimes You know he'll get a little bit too Overzealous Carl Anthony Towns I mean he's the He is the most accurate Three point shooter in history For anyone taller than 6 foot 10 With more than 53 You know with a certain amount of Three point attempts he shoots almost 40% From three but he cares a lot about that. He's not very good defensively. I don't know if he's the smartest player in the world. So I, you know, while I appreciate how hard they play for him, I completely agree with you in that in a series, game by game, when it comes to scheme and breaking down the film and what to do and what to attack, it feels like Memphis has a major advantage there. Um, yeah, I agree 100%. And we're going to see what the one thing about these playoff games, when you get to game three, game four, like what is going to happen when they make all these changes and what is Edwards third and fourth move? You know what I mean? Cause like now you're going to see the same team over and over again. So yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. So on the Timberwolf side, a couple other things worth mentioning towns, Anthony Edwards, Vanderbilt, Pat Bev and D'Angelo. That's their starting five. It's one of only seven combinations of lineups in the league. To outscore opponents by at least 100 points while on the court So their starting lineup is really, really good They're ninth overall as a team in point differential 6th in offensive rating, 13th in defensive rating, 10th in net rating Last time they were in the playoffs in 2018, Towns was not good 
15.2 points per game He shot just 27% from 3 And last night he fouled out After an awful play in game He was 0 for 7 with 2 points With 4 fouls in the first half And then he fouled out with over 7 minutes left To go in the game Shout out to D'Lo though He's, he's done really well against Memphis this year He's averaged over 31 points per game Against them in the 4 games And the thing about these two teams that's that's kind of fascinating from a matchup standpoint. The things that Minnesota or the things that Memphis wants to do, run, offensive rebound, try to run, defensive, you know, take a rebound and go. Minnesota is not good at those things. So it's really like Memphis strength on Minnesota defense, uh, Minnesota weakness. They're 28th in transition points allowed per game and in defensive rebounding percentage. That's a major weakness for Minnesota, major strength for Memphis. There's another game, another series that we're going to talk about where those two teams exactly do the opposite in the Philly Toronto game. You know, Philly is going to try to slow it down. Toronto wants to run, run, run. They're awful when things do slow down. Philly's the flip side. When things slow down, they're great because they've got two players that operate pretty well in the half court and get fouled a ton. So it'll be a really kind of chess match, I think, in this series and then in one. That we move along and talk about next. Anything more to mention for uh, T Wolves Grizzlies? No, I'd, um, I'm tempted though in the first game to play D'Lo under points. I don't think. Yeah, because he's coming off yet. of a really good game he's and people have seen for, that he's yeah. had a good success with, against Memphis. So it might be a few points higher than it should be. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I think. But I mean, I don't think any of those props are out yet that I know of. I'm looking at Bet Online and Bet Online doesn't. Have any of the player props out yet The T-Wolves 47 and 36 42, 38 and 2 against the spread Memphis 56 and 26 52, 29 and 1 We've got the 2-7 matchup there We move on over to the east We talk about the third game slated for Saturday Toronto-Philly This game goes for just one second But we're uh, shifting on over Talking Toronto and Philly now I'm seeing this one at about a 4.5 or so For Philly in this game Over under like Two sixteen and a half here. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, four and a half. Uh, two sixteen. Series price. Series prices bet bet all the way down to one fifty five for uh, Toronto, minus one seventy five for the seventy sixers. Um, and I can pretty much bet safely that you are going with the Toronto in the Toronto direction. But here. like, I feel like everybody like I. Like you don't, you know me, and I don't know if people listen. Though, like I really don't watch like sports talk shows or listen to any podcast. The main, the mainstream like, kind of you stuff. Know what I mean, I just kind of keep to myself, watch the games, and like you know, kind of look do at your own work quality, and stuff. Yeah, that muse. Like I, cause, and but when I am hearing like just people that I run into telling me that the Seventy Sixers are going to lose. That has me a little bit worried because I kind of feel like it's kind of like they're the buzzy underdog. Everybody's jumping on them. Um, and the thing is, this is like, and I get it too. Like, a, it goes back to the Luca injury. Harden's never been the same since that hamstring injury um, no. last year. So you gotta, you gotta remember that. Like, um, East can't exploit it. What he likes to do, and with how Toronto plays defense, like with the pick and the drive, pick switch drive. It fits right in Toronto's hands. Um, and it's so I know against the double teams. You got to remember he struggled against double teams, and um, 
it's not called playoff basketball isn't called the same. And when you have Embiid doing all the flopping with the arms up in his air that he does, you know, it kind of takes out part of his game. Because I saw the stat that without three throws, he's only averaging 18 points a game. The majority of his points come from getting to the three throw line. If it's a game where they're not calling stuff, you know, that takes away from him. And then also when you have Maxi, who's not going to be able to play in Toronto. No, uh, Maxi is, it's Tybal. Oh, uh, Yeah. Tybal, my bad. No problem. Yeah, yeah. What Thibel's He's their best defensive player. Yeah, that's that's huge. So it's like, I get it. I understand it. You have Doc, who we can all agree is a vastly overrated coach. Nick Nurse, vastly underrated. Um, So I get it. I understand it. But I just, I don't know. Like, this is, I don't, like, I, I would be, like, as of right now, I'm not seeing any value in betting lines that are jumping out saying, hey, I need to bet this. Yeah. Hey, I need to lock this in. Yep. Just because there's so many variables. Now, if the market gets a little crazy or some more intel breaks, then yeah. But, you know, right now, and this is another game. I mean, if this gets down to four, I may be betting Philly. Um, now, but if it's four and a half, it's kind of like, it's kind of a dead number to me. Now, let's, uh, let's just throw some numbers and stat stuff out here on the 76er side. When Embiid and Harden are on the court, they are outscoring teams by 15.9 points per 100 possessions. That's second best among NBA duos with at least 600 minutes. So they're still kicking the shit out of teams when the two of them are on the court together. The question for them is going to be how good can someone like Maxi be? This year he averaged 17.4 points per game. He shot 43 plus percent from three. Can you produce similar to that in the playoffs when it's more difficult? There's more pressure on you. The defense is a little bit better. Can you do that? Now, he still should get a lot of open shots because teams are going to, and in particular, the one thing that Toronto has done against Philly is they swarmed Harden and Joel near the paint. And that actually worked out okay for Philly because in. Philly recorded an assist on 70% of the field goals, which was their highest rate against any Eastern Conference opponent. So what that tells me in reading into it is that these role players in this series for Philly are going to be massive. They're going to be huge. It's going to be Danny Green. It's going to be, you know, the other guys, not Harden and Embiid that necessarily need to make a lot of big open shots for them to win games here. It'd be just the the way Toronto is going to play because Toronto doesn't have any bigs. They they don't play. Their starting lineup, Siakam, plays center, and they're not going to have big bodies to throw at Embiid. What they're going to do is they're going to double him and triple him right away when he gets it. They're going to force him to make a pass. He's going to make a pass, or they're going to force Harden to make a pass, and then it's going to be one of the other shooters, one of the other role players for Philly who needs to step up, and that's what it's going to come down to. And that's sometimes. As much as the playoffs do come down to your stars It's, you know, you have some of the Unsung heroes, I remember the Lakers run A few years ago, it was KCP who was just Fantastic for a couple months stretch And he hit all of his wide open shots And he would go stretches through the year where He wouldn't do that, and then boom, you get a guy That just gets hot for a couple weeks or a month And they help carry your team, could it be A maxi, could it be a, a green Could it be someone else that, you know, maybe Gets some wide open shots here uh, In the way this, this you know, will Probably, uh Will shape up and, so. But I mean with Harden and Embiid 
they're two and zero. They're zero and two against the Raptors. They lost um, a couple days ago. Buck Even 14, with the Raptors so, not playing yeah. some of their best players. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just. But I mean, they did play like when Harden first got there. They played the game was like a sloppy game too. I think it was like a. They only scored like eighty eight points, like ninety three, ninety four to eighty eight or something like that. It was back in March. Um, but I just I don't know. Like I, it's just really hard for me to. I can see Philly winning this series. Don't get me wrong, just because of the inefficiencies of Toronto has with no bigs. But I can't see a long playoff run for either one of these teams. For whoever loses this, I can see them easily losing like four two to Miami. The they both have major weaknesses. I think they're both the spot that they're in will be interesting because I mean moving forward. Who wins this will what they'll go on and play Miami next, right? In the four after the four or five. And then Yeah, they'll go play Miami. But I don't see like I don't don't think Toronto because Toronto kind of feels just like a less a little bit lesser version of Miami. I think Miami might just be like they're they're similar sort of teams. They're not quite Miami's not very big. I think they've got similar styles. Matchup wise, I could see Philly getting through one more series. Like I don't think Philly could beat Milwaukee, but I think they could beat some of the other teams, if they get Maxi and the other role players to get to have that kind of production, because I'm looking at them equally as much as I'm looking at someone like Embiid and and Harden. This uh, Philly team, tenth in point differential, eleventh in offensive rating, twelfth in defensive rating, ninth in net rating, number five in the adjusted shot quality ranking. So shot quality actually has them as the second best team in the league, uh, in the uh, second best team in the East. Per ESPN stats and info Since James Harden arrived They Teams have shot 64.9% In transition Against Philly That is the worst field goal percentage Allowed during that span by any team And so we can blame it on Harden A little bit But if we actually look back And we say before the deadline It was 55.7 Which was still only 20th so teams are going to run on Philly. They've got Harden who doesn't get back and they've got Embiid who's just bigger and slower. It's not his fault. He'll try, but he can't do it. He's just big. He's a big dude. He can't go up and down every single time. So that's the exactly what Toronto wants to do is a major major weakness of Philly. Now, as much as we give as much as you, I like Embiid. As much as you shit on him. He per um you know like the metrics The Sixers net rating drops 12 points per 100 Processions when he sits They got Millsap and DeAndre Jordan Behind him In the 35 games He played to end the year He averaged 32.9 Points, 12.5 rebounds And 4.1 assists So we shit on him, I just want to give him some props too In the two games they played Since the All-Star break Those ones that we were just talking about where Toronto beat them and it was Harden and Embiid on the court Joel was a plus 15 In 75 total minutes Philly was outscored 61 to 36 in the 21 minutes That he was on the bench This is exactly what happened in the 2019 conference finals In the conference semifinals Toronto and Philly played Philly was outscored In 99 minutes By 109 points In the minutes that Joel was off the floor so as much as we crap on him or as much as you know we may not like him, his on and off numbers are going to go down as like all time. And it's because he's a presence. 
the guy makes you change the way that you drive and you think because he's just a big dude, and he does learn and he does get a little bit better and he does add some things to his repertoire. But the the thing about that, Eric, they're not going to be able to fix that. He's going to have to come off the court at some point for a little bit, and when he does, they don't have any good options anymore. Yeah, I mean, and Harden doesn't have his hamstring healthy for side. You can't really trust Danny Green. What's going to happen to Maxi when he's on the bulletin board and people start taking away his second and third move? Um, it's just really hard to trust this team. And really hard with all the guys. You know, with Harden and Doc have. have been two of the biggest playoff failures in this era of players. It, like in this era of the last 15, 20 years, Doc has some of the biggest playoff failures and collapses. And James Harden, and for. I, I actually do give him probably a little bit more credit than most for getting teams to series against the Warriors and actually being competitive in some of those series against one of the best teams ever. But I don't know how people can forget the game against the Clippers when Harden got benched and they came back when he was benched. It was Josh Smith and Corey Brewer that brought the that brought them back. And what was funny about that was that was a Harden being benched against Doc. They yeah. were both on the court that, that there. You know what I mean? Like Harden was on the bench for the Rockets. Doc's coaching the Clippers who collapse and the Rockets come back, but it has nothing to do with Harden. He's literally benched as the entire then, team comes back. And then also something to remember is um benches get shorter. And let's face it, Harden's not the most conditioned guy. And B's not the most conditioned guy. So I mean those guys You don't have you don't have Tybal. Yeah, so I mean, it's, I don't know, like, it, people betting the Raptors futures, I get it, I understand it, I agree with it, but it's too, like, publicly mainstream for me to get any it involved It's a in little it. too easy for a team that's still a five-point underdog, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, Vegas, it, yeah. there's a reason why those lines are set, too. If Toronto was just a better team, they would, it would be that the numbers would be a little bit closer. A couple other things to mention for these two teams, um, yeah, they were just... Seven and six with Harden and Embiid against teams that reached the playoffs or the play-in. Harden in the two games against the Raptors shot just eight for twenty-four, not good at all. And uh, yeah, we mentioned Thibel not fully vaccinated, so he can't get into Canada. On the Raptors side, you know they don't really go too deep either. So an injury or something for them could hurt. They have every Raptor starter is one of the top thirty in the league in minutes per game. Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam are the top two They both average basically 38 minutes a game 37.9 minutes a game So they just play all of their guys like a college team Like five or six guys deep And I'll say this, Siakam's having the best season that no one's talking about I know, his last half of this season has been fantastic Fantastic Everything's uh, there, like I said It's one of those things where you just kind of sit back and you're like it just can't be this easy. Everyone's seeing it. What am I not seeing? And that's why I'm passing. Um, I do think, though, that this will be a long series, and you could probably get, you know what I mean? It could be one of those things where you could get, like, a plus 125, plus 150 on both sides and be able to lock in some money, though. Let's uh, hit on a few other things for the Raptors. 11th in point differential, 15th in offensive rating, 9th in defensive rating, 12th in net. We've got... Scotty Barnes, the awesome rookie, 35 
12.4 minutes per game 15.3 points, 7.5 rebounds 3.5 assists and over a steal a game They started 14-17 this year Since then they've gone 34-17 and And since then During that stretch 7-2 and against the top 4 teams in the East Including the 2 wins against Philly The only problem is And this is something that it's It's one thing to do it in one game You know, it's happened a couple times They played, but you didn't play Philly Over and over That dude Embiid is a big dude And and You know, you're going to have guys That are 6 foot 7 To 6 foot 9 Nobody taller than 6 foot 9 Nobody within 45 pounds of him Those, it starts to add up If this is a long series, right Those are a lot of bumps and bruises Where you're hacking the guy, you're fouling him you kind of go into him He's going to get a little bit beat up But they don't have the bodies It's nice when you got a backup center or two That's just got a big body That you can just kind of throw at him And get four or five fouls You know, They're going to need a lot of It's going to be Siakam That's going to be like a lot of their Key offensive contributors Taking some bumps and bruises along the way So that's, that's something they got to be careful about too Because it's going to be but different I mean, like- Nurse is the guy that threw out a box and one against the Warriors, a triangle and two against the Warriors. Well, this I mean, guy phys- physically though, you, mentally, Nurse have, like, Nurse is great, he's but have something dialed up. I don't. All, know all I'm is. saying is, if you come and try to smack me on the arm repeatedly, and I'm way bigger than you, you're going to start getting hurt when you do that. I think they're going to foul and beat a lot, no matter what, because they're he's just bigger than them. Even if they don't call fouls at the same rate. He's just going to be in a lot of situations where it's like, oh, Embiid's posted up. He's in a spot. Just foul him, right? And they will. But though I think you're uh, mentally, Nurse is way better. I think there's there's still something to being this big and this dominant when the other team doesn't have the type of player that can at least make it difficult for you. I mean, he could and he could do that, and they still lose. But Embiid could average like forty points a game in the series. It, it, yeah, he could. I mean, and they could, right. and that I could mean, be... he easily, he easily could because they. I mean, like they got Thaddeus Young, um, Boucher. Yeah, like I mean, they they have just, some guys that could just come in and hack them. Um, just pick up. That's what I mean. It, like it would be, it would be nice for someone as much as he's nothing, but like a Dwight Howard or a drum, like Drummond, even come in and throw your hands up. Foul him a couple times, your body is big And you'll at least save Siakam From having to take a couple You know, if he's down there playing center That's the only thing that worries me a little bit I don't know what to do in this series Because it's again, to me The major weakness It feels on paper very, very Very favorable for Toronto They are the only team that ranked in the top Five in both turnover rate And opponent turnover rate So they had the league's best Turnover differential by a large Margin they end up committing 3.4 Fewer turnovers per game Than their opponents they also Have the second biggest Offensive rebounding differential Grabbing three more Offensive rebounds per game than their opponents So because of those two things They're able to average Seven more shooting opportunities Either field goal attempts Or trips to the free throw line per game That's like a weird Stat and a number that you probably don't hear about or look into But because of that, they had the biggest differential of any team in the last 23 years 
I mean, that's how they were able to win 48 games. You look, they're bottom five in field goal, effective field goal percentage. They're middle of the pack in three-point field goal percentage. See, the, the Sixers had a higher effective field goal percentage than them in all four of their head-to-head matchups. And it's, you know, they ended up committing five fewer turnovers. They got 29 more offensive rebounds in those four games. So that those are the things that they hit on the margins Like if you look at shot quality and stuff Every one of those games they would have had Philly probably getting the better But but Toronto just gets More opportunities that you can't really account for And They're going to be they're going to be a tough out I don't think this is going to be a short series I think this series goes 6 or 7 I think it goes 7 for sure Like It feels be- like a chess match right Like a, this happens this game and then maybe They'll Dominate a little bit more and go to Embiid And he gets bigger the next game and then the next game They go back the other way and they try to make him run It just sort of feels like it might be kind of Your turn my turn you go I go kind of a thing you know Exactly I agree with you 100% Okay let's jump on to uh, our next Series where we headed we are Headed to finish up Sunday With Denver and Golden State so what do we have for The series and for the uh, for game one lines Here 210 for Denver, plus 210, minus 250 for the Warriors for the series. Looking at um, the game, it's up to six and a half. Denver getting six and a half over under 223 and a half. And this is just the thing, like, there's so many variables going on on both rosters. A, I think this Nuggets team, I think they're tired. I mean, you don't, you lose your two and your three and you're making this run. And you had to battle to stay in that six seed. I think, you know, those guys, Morris, Barton, all those guys that are just playing over their head, they're just tired. It's going to show this series. But on the flip side, you got the Warriors. We don't know going. We don't know what's going on with Curry. Jordan Poole has transcended to, like, Curry 2.0. Yeah. But what's going to happen now when Curry, when Curry comes, comes back, back? And his role is reduced. And yep. also what's going to happen when... Playoff basketball is just different just because instead of it just being like a random Wednesday night game when you're, it's like your fifth game and you know, your fifth game and like a 10 game road trip, eight game road trip, whatever you're playing the same team over and over again. These teams know your moves. What's going to happen now? Cause this is what separates the good players from the great players is they have multiple ways to beat you. Does pool have that? I don't know. We're going to see, we don't know what's going to happen with clay clay's like, the fact Clay's even out on the basketball court right now is a success after those two devastating injuries. Those three and dudes Draymond, played 11 you know, total minutes together this year. 11. And then, and then you got Draymond. You know, he's not 100%. You know, so there's – this is – the thing about the playoffs this year is I feel there's just so many goddamn questions about every single matchup pretty much that yeah. it's really hard – to play series stuff to play And series I'm going to be playing everything game to game And live stuff And I'm glad we're doing a lot of our previews We'll be doing every single day Shows for Better Than Vegas at BTV Bet So we'll be able to dive into those games And have really good reactions to what happened And you know how our team's going to counter But it is right There's so many variables in these series That we don't know yet Like what if Steph Curry steps on the court He was supposed to scrimmage today Thursday when we're talking And Everything that Shaw said it looks like he's going to play In game one but what if he steps on the court In game one and three minutes in he's no good yeah. You know and like we Like we don't like because teams Don't have to release their injury stuff till tomorrow So we don't know Even if he's going to be listed 
on the injury report or not. So, and like, like you said, we don't know what happens if he steps on it, steps on, and then like tweaks something and something doesn't feel right. So there's just so much, you know what I mean? There's just so much stuff. But on the flip side, like who did the Warriors have that can stop Joker? I don't, you know, they really don't but have anyone. Nobody, because can Draymond yeah. guard Jokic? Do they have enough size in a series? It's the same sort of thing I was talking about with Embiid, right? You can do it for a game or two, but damn, when that big guy, you know, and he's what? Jokic doesn't look tough or anything, but we've seen him. That's a big body. He'll el- There's a lot of elbows and knees and, jo- you know, you start getting, he just starts hitting you over and over again. The guy's 30, 40 pounds bigger than you and, you know, three or four inches taller than you. And you've got this team of a big three that's won a lot of games together with Clay, Dre, and Curry. Like I said, 11 minutes together this year. The game that Clay got back, Draymond got hurt for two months with a back injury. The game that Draymond came back, Steph Curry sprained his foot. Their yeah. projected starting lineup with Wiggins and Looney has played, ready for this one? Seven total seconds together this year. Seven seconds. Wow. <laughs> That's how much their, their starting lineup has played together. Um, during the month of March, you mentioned Jordan Poole. He averaged 25.4 points per game, almost five assists. And almost four rebounds per game In 19 games He scored 20 or more points In 17 consecutive He led the league And made uh, 67 threes In the month The most three pointers made of any player in the month of March And uh, you know, With them, 5th in point differential 16th in offensive rating 2nd in defensive rating 4th in the net rating They were 3rd in the league in made threes per game 14.3 and they are one of just four teams in the league that had four different players averaging at least two three-pointers made per game and shooting 35% or better. Curry, Clay, Poole, Wiggins all make at least two threes per game, all shoot at least 35% or better. They can still light it up if they're healthy, but if they're not healthy, what are we going to get from them, you know? They were the number one team in defensive rating through the first three months. Then Draymond got hurt. They dropped back. Draymond came back. They moved back up a little bit because no doubt he anchors their defense. They ended up winning the final five games of the year, actually, to put them back in a good spot. They were all the way down to the six, and they jumped themselves all the way back up to three. So they got home court uh, home court advantage, which is nice in a series that, hell, we don't know how this series is going to go with, with the health of Curry. It's so hard to handicap because of that. I mean, they have player props up on FanDuel for, for all the Nuggets players. They have none for the Warriors players because all that changes, you know, if Curry plays or if he doesn't play. So we'll know a lot more tomorrow when the injury report comes out and, you know, we can kind of go from then in terms of player props. But like I said, this is just another thing where you know, I'm, just, I'm just not going to get involved and maybe live, maybe maybe some player props on some Warriors side once I know who's playing. But yeah, I just this is one of those games in my eyes. You just kind of have to sit back and you know just kind of wait. So on the Nuggets side, Jokic became the first player in history with two thousand points, a thousand rebounds, and five hundred assists in a season. His player efficiency rating set the league's all-time record. He's literally breaking metrics. Last year in the playoffs, he averaged twenty-nine point eight points per game, eleven point six rebounds, and five assists per game in the playoffs. In April and March this year, he averaged 31.6 points per game, 13.7 rebounds, and 7.5 assists per game while shooting 62% from the field. 
Denver is 16.4 points per 100 possessions better with him on the court. Jamal Murray, is it possible he comes back if Denver continues to play on? They've said it's sort of up to him now. But I mean, you know? the thing is this. Like, he hasn't played all year. He's different than Steph, right? Steph has played yeah. this year and has and had like, an injury. The guys that like Simmons that and Kawhi and Jamal Murray, even Michael Porter, he played in the year earlier. I would, yeah. and I know he. They said he's farther away, and it's a back thing. But these guys who didn't play a game all year, you're really telling me that they could come back and 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 impact something full in speed. the playoffs? I don't. With, you can't do it. You, the you intensity. Can't do it. There's no way. There's no you way. Can't do it. You can't do it. I mean, they would be foolish if they did that with Murray. I mean, you got to think long term with him. You got a good like one two punch with him and Joker. Um, you got to think long term. It'd be a huge mistake in my eyes if they elect to play him. Because of that, I think I, I don't think he plays. Um, Denver, for the most part, is a real run smart, smartly run organization. So I, it would shock me if he did. The Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, injury doesn't look like he's going to be back. Some of the other metrics for the Nuggets: twelfth in point differential, seventh in offensive rating, fifteenth in defensive rating, eleventh in net. Keep an eye on Bones Highland, rookie. He averaged 14-plus points per game in March, and he had three 20-point-plus performances. They may need him. If they win this series and you look back after, it's probably going to be because Bones Highland had a 20-point game or two and had one of those games where he sort of came in off the bench and was able to sort of shift the, the tide of the game. And that's something that Jokic... Desperately needs with no Jamal Murray or no Michael Porter Jr. Those were lighted up type guys who could take some pressure off him for a game or two. He needs someone like a Highland to come in and uh, and and play really well. The Nuggets outscore their opponents by 8.4 points per 100 possessions with Jokic on the floor, and they got outscored by 7.9 per 100 when he was off the floor. That differential. Was the biggest among 261 players who played at least 1,000 minutes for a single team. The differential was actually bigger on offense. It's pretty big on defense. Not, you know, you would sort of think defense, maybe not, but it's still pretty big there. In the four games against the Warriors, Denver got outscored by 19 points in the 56 minutes when he was off the floor. Very similar with Embiid. And that's why these two guys were MVP, MVPs this year. It's not because they just stack up numbers. It's literally Eric because their teams go from being like the best in the league to being not even close to average when they're off the court. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I don't, yeah. I like I said this this series. There's just so all of many them question marks. Yeah, this one in particular, but just yeah, all the ones that we've talked about right off the bat have been variables about. Now they're going to Canada but Tybal's not playing there We don't know if Curry's going to be healthy or not We don't know what's going to happen with Luka Doncic We don't know what's going to happen with Jaw And that's not role players Those are three guys that are first team all NBA guys You know like that's That shifts the whole game If one of those guys is not at 100% Or they're not up to that level So we move from Saturday to Sunday We're going to talk about the two Sunday series And then we'll mention a few things about the number one seeds And as Eric and I were talking about We will be previewing these games Every day throughout the playoffs On BTV Bets with our NBA shows We're going to be uh, at 6 o'clock Monday through Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, and then on Saturday and Sunday Eric, I think I looked, I think we're good for noon Eastern time, because I don't think any games ever Start before that, I think they all either start At 12.30 or later, yeah. so 
We'll go noon Eastern time every Saturday, Sunday through the playoffs, and we'll go six o'clock PM Eastern time. So that way, we'll have a lot better ideas of players who are playing leading up to those games. What happened last? If any movement, particular props we can dive into. Let's dive into Sunday, and we begin with Brooklyn and Boston. This is going to be a fun series. This might be the one I'm looking forward to the most, just from a NBA fan series because. I mean, I could really see anything happening. Boston is a better team, but man, they're gonna miss Robert Williams here. Boston comes into this, but I mean, like this series right here, are they like you, they may not I in this series? Like, You're this right. Series, I don't think that Robert Williams not being there or not being able to like give a full go is gonna is, hurt. Is them. the complete backbreaker like it is yeah. right? They, I. They if can still win like this Philly, series without Robert Williams. Yeah. They could not win against, against Philly or Milwaukee. Philly, Milwaukee, probably Miami with Bama. They yeah, Bama. even Miami. No, like any of those teams, they couldn't. But this is the one team you're right because it's Drummond, and it's not as if you're going to get a whole lot offensively unless he tries to go Magic Drummond. You know exactly, and, and he's such a liability in the pick and roll. We saw it in the Cleveland series. He only played 18 minutes. The Cleveland game, excuse me. He only played 18 minutes. You know, it wasn't like he was on the court that much. Um, I know for me, in terms of betting-wise, I'm going to be on the Celtics here in the first game. Um, So what do we got for the game one price and the series prices? um, Celtics are laying four right now, uh, over under 224. For the series, uh, Celtics are minus 138. Uh, Brooklyn is plus 118. We saw this whole thing um, in the Cleveland series. In the Cleveland series, I keep saying the series, the game. Um, they really struggle. Brooklyn does when Irving or Durant are out of the lineup. They really struggle a lot offensively. Um, defensively, they still have some issues. Garland, Rondo, all those guys were able to to do the pick and roll and get get downhill. And I've been harping on Tatum for a year coming on your show saying he wasn't distributing the ball enough when you ran twos on him. And I think that's been the big thing difference this year compared to last year is something finally clicked in his head when people are running twos at him. He's hitting people in stride and the ball movement has just been exceptional. Defense has been great. I think they win this game. Um, and then that's the point after the Celtics win game one, you're going to get a little bit of an inflated price on the Nets because it's at plus 138. Probably will jump up to a. And that's when you come back and play Brooklyn. That's when you play Brooklyn for the series. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a very long series. I think this is, you know, six or seven. But um, I really think that Boston is going to win game one and cover. So let's dive into uh yeah for some reason you know it's funny like we said when we when I'm doing my research and stuff I just sort of I read a bunch of my articles I've got my my little like databases you know that I just kind of add add to um so if like I find something out I'll just like throw that note on under the bucks or if I find something else out that's a good stat that I like or when I'm reading through an article I do and for for some reason it just ended up being like I had a lot a lot a lot about Boston and since January the 23rd, they've outscored teams by more than 14 points per 100 possessions. They moved from a play-in team to home court advantage in the first round, and they were battling for a number one seed. They were 20 and 21. They were in 10th place 
six games behind the Nets at the midway point of the season, and now they're the two, and the Nets are the seven. They went, um, they were twenty-five and twenty-five after fifty games. Since then, they went twenty and six. They were the best team in the NBA, ranking first in both offense and defensive efficiency, and they've outscored opponents in that stretch by fourteen point six points per one hundred possessions. We mentioned Robert Williams likely to miss the first round meniscus surgery on March the 30th, four to six week timetable. They get through round one. That would actually work out well for him as far as the timing is concerned. He should be able to be back to play in at least a couple games in round two if they get through. But without him, they do lack a ton of size. You know, Horford, Tice, Grant Williams. The Nets don't have that offensive big man, but they won't have a paint presence to keep Kyrie out or to make it a little bit difficult on KD. If that's the case Some of the Celtics key numbers Second in point differential Ninth in offensive rating First in defensive rating Second in net rating They are 20-6 and six since Derek White showed up He's played 27.4 minutes per game And it's not as if he's come in And been this incredible shooter or anything Eric, he's only shooting 30% from 3 On 4.3 attempts per game But he averages 3.5 assists He's just a smart basketball player The ball flows The ball moves We don't get as much ISO stagnant stuff Like we used to with Tatum Brown Kind of you go, I go Your turn, my turn It feels more like a team now With everything flowing Marcus Smart According to ESPN Stats and Info uh, Second Spectrum Tracking Marcus Smart has switched 422 times As the ball handler on defense Against ball screens this year that's the third most in the NBA And the Celtics have allowed Only .89 per chance Which is well below the league average there So the, the problem with that is That they switch more screens Than any other team in the league But the switching scheme Can sometimes make, like, flatten The opposing offensives It makes them play one-on-one You switch a lot They don't really pass the ball And move it around as much They end up ISOing The problem is Is if if they do ISO, you've got Durant and Kyrie. Those are guys that are two of what they're two of the top five players who scored more than a point per possession on at least five ISO possessions per game, according to synergy tracking, KD and Kyrie. So what the bot what Boston's gonna try to do defensively might actually play into them. Like you can do everything you can, but when Durant's hitting that 20 footer over you, like how do you stop it? Yeah, there's not much you can do. You you play smart. You have a great scheme Udo's done a fantastic job coaching this team You know what's funny is Tatum actually has a bigger On-off differential than KD Does the Celtics were 14 Points per 100 better with Tatum on the floor and um, Minus 1.9 with him Off the floor so Plus 12 you know, 14 points per 100 better, plus 12 when he's on, minus 1.9 when he's off. Tatum averaged over 30 points in his final 26 games. They have the biggest point differential in the East and the league's biggest differential between expected wins and actual wins. This team was supposed to be 62 and 20. They were just a little bit unlucky. They had 18 games this year. They won by 20 points or more, which was tied for the most in the league. But then on the flip side, Eric, they're not very good in close games. Now it's that's one of those things that's weird because they beat the crap out of a lot of teams down the stretch. So they weren't playing in as many close games. But this year, in games that are within five points with five minutes left to go in the game, so those are considered close games, they're 13 and 22. And Jason yeah. Tatum in clutch, 
clutch situations Two for 25 on clutch three-pointers Dead last among 74 players who attempted at least 15 clutch three-pointers Smart, he's not very good on clutch two-pointers In the 26 years where there is clutch data available The Celtics have the third biggest differential Between their winning percentage in non-clutch games And their winning percentage in clutch games They are one of the craziest teams ever That they will beat the crap out of you But then if it's close, they've been bad It's like it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense It's kind of weird Yeah, that is kind of weird That is like really weird Things I, I got um, in reading, yeah, and I thought it was as always worth pointing out because it was like, "What? That's so bizarre." Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Like when you like, oh, um, but yeah, like I, this is like pretty much the only series where I have like a map played out what I want to do. Everything else for me is kind of, you know, wait and see, so to speak. Um, you know, it's just, but it, this one should be entertaining. You got Kyrie going back to Boston. You got the coach for Boston used to be the Nets assistant. Um. Yeah, a lot of interesting little things, and then you got Robert Williams. Um, you know, I know people are saying he could come back, but I mean, I had my meniscus done. They said that I was going to be back in two weeks, two and a half, three weeks. I was out forever because it just took my body forever to recover from it. So everybody just kind of reacts differently. So you just. Don't know and this isn't like a full this is just Kind of like a shaving so it shouldn't take that Long but like I said you don't know How Williams's body is going to react to the um, To the procedure a couple Other things to mention on the net side before we uh, Move along so I mean we see Ben Simmons there's no way they're saying He can play in the middle of the like game four Or five no. like how you, you cannot do that and put that guy Out there one you're going to have him Chase around Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown and two, you're going to put him in that sort of a pressure situation when the guy couldn't even shoot a free throw last year. I mean, yeah. if it were me, the moment that guy stepped on the court, wouldn't you would just start hacking him just to see, like, mentally if he could do it? Go put him on the yeah. free throw line right away. Like, make this guy go out there and stand and make free throws with the Boston Celtics crowd booing the shit out of him. Yeah, I mean, I, he's, he's not going to play. And How? it's like, yeah. The thing is, is, at the end of the day, you have to be kind of responsible. Like, this guy hasn't been playing, and you're going to throw him out there expecting him to do all these athletic-type moves? There's just no way. There's no way you can physically have him go out there and do that. It would be unfair to him, unfair to everybody. Um, on the other side, I think that, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any chance that he plays. No. Nets are 15th in point differential 10th in offensive rating 20th in defensive rating 15th in net rating again with them It's hard because they missed KD and Kyrie for a lot of their stuff So looking at their season wide metrics is They're difficult to do Bruce Brown he stepped up down the stretch He averaged 14.7 Points per game in March Five and a half rebounds and 3.7 assists Per game he also played very well Defensively I liked uh, What I saw from one of the rookies there don't be shocked if we see Kessler Edwards, Eric, getting some run. You know, he's six eight. He's got some size. He's got some athleticism. He might be a body that if things are going poor for you defensively, you throw him out there because he's pretty good at defense. He's got size, and he hit forty seven percent of his threes. Now he doesn't have a big sample size, and he wasn't shooting a prolific amount of threes. But if you know the guy can come out there for five minutes at a time, give you three or four minutes. 
have a, be a big body that's six foot eight, plays good defensively, and if you do pass him a ball and he's open for three, he's got a chance to hit it. We may see him playing in here because the Nets don't have a whole lot of depth and options right now. If they don't have a guy like you know Joe Harris, that's a big piece that's going to be missing for them. He did a lot of the little dirty work type things. You need players like him on your team, and they're going to be missing. Any type of like wing defenders Yeah Yeah I mean like losing him is going to be huge Um yeah I mean I just and they're not a great Defensive team to begin with You know what no. I mean like even no. like They got some they got some efficiencies And we saw it with In the Cavs game I mean Garland was having his way getting to the rim There were so many backdoor cuts Um yeah I just like I said I just I don't I think this is going to be a long series. I love Boston in game one. The Nets only got 29 games from Kyrie. KD missed 27 games. And here's what scares me. He's averaged 41.3 minutes per game in their last nine games, including the play-in. Kevin Durant has played the entire second half of the game three times the last nine games. The whole second half. The Nets were... 12 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor They have a plus 6.5 rating with, Without him on the floor They're minus 5.5 uh, They finished 12 and 5 to close out the year In their last 17 Their defense was a little bit better during that stretch They were actually ranked 8th Although that's sort of hard because They were ranked 8th during a stretch Where a lot of other teams were just kind of packing it in Or teams that were sort of settling into their spots So it's hard to just use a defensive rating metric For the last Part of a season when most most teams Aren't going to put the same sort of defensive effort No Eastern Conference Team scored More efficiently against Brooklyn this season Than Boston They scored 121.6 points Per 100 possession Boston went 3-1 and one against them in those four games And in We will say that for all the crap I gave Boston earlier about the clutch metrics In the one game Of theirs that was a clutch game in a, it was a head-to-head situation It was within five points in the last five minutes Boston won So they did win that close game between these two teams Kyrie started 12 for 12 the other night Is he in good enough shape to carry the load he needs? Can he be like at least feisty enough for them on defense? I don't think so in the long run But man, this is a cool series, Eric I'm really, I'm really pumped for this one I think it should be a lot of fun Yeah, me too I'm looking forward to it And, uh, you know I hate the fact they have to root for Boston but, I know, you know me too I'm probably <laughs> I hate both of these It's funny because I hate the Celtics just as a Laker fan And then as a fan of like I've I've rooted more against Durant You know and since he went to Golden State And stuff and I don't like Kyrie at all So this is one of these like oh, Somebody's got to win this series Ah oh, shit but yeah I'll, Whoever I end up rooting for or betting I'm going to be mad at myself for doing it As long as I win some money I guess I won't be bad Afterwards Brooklyn 45 and 38, they made their way in through the play-in 33, 47 and 2 against the spread Boston, 51 and 31 45, 36 and 1 ATS Final series that is set up Sunday, 6.30pm Eastern time, we've got the Bulls at the Bucks, Bulls are a Major underdog in here, Milwaukee We're seeing what, around the around 10 or so for game 1 Yeah, game 1, we're looking at 10 over under Of 228 um, For the series The Bulls are plus 800 Oof, yeah. um, I mean it, it would take something 
catastrophic. The Bucks do have some deficiencies this year on defense um, with some of the injuries that they've had at defending the guard. And what's sort of hard And I'm going to mention some of those numbers too But what it's really hard with some of those that Like Brooke Lopez was missing for The whole year basically You know and now he's back And this team is just going to look a lot different The cool thing So Brooke Lopez Who had the back surgery He's only played 11 games Last year he was second in the league In field goal percentage allowed at the rim Only Draymond Green was better than him At defending the rim And this year in just the little sample size Since he's returned Opponents are shooting 12 for 40 At the rim 30% It's just a big dude It's a big body He's a little bit more athletic Than you think he is You know He can shuffle his feet And move around a little bit better So That's what's hard Is that I mean Could you find some holes in Milwaukee? Yeah I think so Is this the team The Chicago team To exploit them? I don't know what I can look at And and, and say that I would want to play Chicago here Especially a Chicago team that's not going to have Lonzo A Chicago team that They were the number one seed In the East on February the 24th They were 39 and 21 Since then they've gone 7 and 15 They went from 1st To 6th They finished the season 1 and 14 Against the top 4 teams in the East They were 2 and 21 Against the top 4 teams in the East and the West There was There was the worst winning percentage By a team, by a playoff team Against the top four in their conference Since 1984 Not any any playoff team Most playoff teams, you don't make the playoffs If you win one out of 15 games Against four of the teams in your conference They're lucky that they just beat up On a lot of inferior teams And they did a lot of that early on in the year They haven't even been very good down the stretch The last couple months Yeah, I think just The thing with the Bulls, and we've talked about it before Is they're just so bad defensively without having Lonzo there is even hurting their defense even more because he was him and Caruso were good defensively. Vucevic is lost in the pick and roll. And the thing that Lopez does good why he does have that high percentage is because he doesn't crash the offensive glass. As soon as the shot goes up, he just books it back and the guards from the Bucks crash. And then he kind of protects the rim in case they do get out and run. Um, and he's a very underrated defender in pick and roll. Phoenix tried to take advantage of it last year in the in the NBA Finals, but he he's really he's competent in it a lot better than Towns that we talked about before and um, and Drummond. So I just there's n- unless there's a catastrophic injury, you know what I mean? Yes, Giannis goes down. I don't see how the Bulls can. You know what I mean? Yeah. To so me, like, this says to me this says gentleman sweep, which is four like to one. Yeah. Four a nice a nice four one. Yeah. You know, like some positives on the bull side. Demar this year, he scored 157 points on 53.5 percent shooting in clutch time, defined as the final five minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime in the score within five points. He became only the fourth player in the last ten years to hit that mark, joining Dame, CJ, and LeBron. So really good company for players who have been good in clutch situations. He scored 31.3 points per game in the four games against Milwaukee. Good, right? Well, yeah. uh, you dive into it. He shot a lower field goal percentage down 50 to 48, and he had to shoot more attempts, four more attempts per game. So he's shooting more and at a lower percentage. 
That's why he scored more it, It's not as good as it might look at first glance They are 20th in point differential 13th in offensive rating The Bulls are 23rd in defensive rating 20th in net rating I mean those aren't metrics for a team that usually Has a good like Makes the playoffs They've really struggled without Lonzo They need him defensively But just moving the ball The space, the, the spacing, the pace, the speed Since the All-Star break They rank 23rd in three-point percentage And what's scary about that They take the fewest three-pointers per game So their percentage should be a little bit better Because they're not shooting as many um, yeah. They Defensively They were 10th in the league on January 1st And now they're 23rd they're 28th in rebounding These are just things that they just don't do well Yeah Now there might be some bad blood between these two teams It could be a little fun because They played each other in 2015 And Chicago crushed them In the in game 6 They beat them 120-66 to 66. And that was when Giannis Tackled Mike Dunleavy into the stands You remember that? Young Giannis yep. At the end? Yep. So that was in 2015 Then this year Grayson Allen cost Caruso 22 games with the broken wrist Because of the foul So it wouldn't be shocking to see Things get a little bit chippy If it gets a blowout or you know if, if it's You know like we said if it's game 4 or 5 And it's like 3-0 or 4 It looks like it's going to be 4-1 to We Maybe we see something goofy happen at the end um, Yeah the Bulls The way that you, you beat Milwaukee Is if you can shoot and hit a lot of threes Because they just let you do that they like let you shoot them if you and and they're not incredible at defending them, but they try to funnel you there and they make sure it's really difficult for you inside. But the Bulls don't shoot threes. They take only 33% of their shots from three. That's the lowest rate in the league. They allow their opponents to take only 36.5% of their shots, which is the league's second lowest opponent rate from three. So neither of these teams will probably shoot all that much from three. But in the regular season Because because that's what happened When they played each other Milwaukee didn't shoot nearly as much But Milwaukee won all four of those games Because yeah. they can just play differently And they'll go, oh, okay, you don't want us to shoot We'll just go big and we'll just attack You don't have any big to stop us Just yeah. I try, I'm trying, man, you know what I mean? Like we, we, in all of these matchups Our job is to try to find ways For the underdog to win that's what our job is, right? Like, why do we come? We aren't ever going to come and I hate, like, I listen to people that look at races and they're like, oh, this is the horse who's supposed to win. And he's like six to five. And it's like, what? That's what you're doing? Come on. Our job is to find reasons why those horses or teams or the heavy favorites aren't going to win. I just, I can't, can. I, I can't, I can't get it here. Giannis has scored 528 points in 526 fourth quarter minutes this year. Think about that. He's one of only five players in the play-by-play era since 1996 to average at least one point per fourth quarter minute. He is the first player in the last 25 years to average at least eight points in the fourth quarter on 55% shooting. That is nuts. They're seventh in point differential, third in offensive rating, 14th in defensive rating, eighth in net rating. Like I said, they play most of the year without Brooke Lopez who had back surgery So some of those metrics are a little bit tough Because this is the first time under Coach Bud Where they finished outside the top 10 in defensive efficiency yep. But last year, they were number 9 in the regular season And then in the playoffs, they were number 1 Throughout the playoffs, yeah. they turned it on, they stepped it up And they might be doing that again right now They're 15-6 and six since the All-Star break 4-0 against the Bulls You did hit on some of the weaknesses So 
while they've won since the All-Star break, their defense hasn't been all that great. They rank 20th in defensive rating, 18th in opponent field goal percentage, and 28th in opponent three-point percentage. They are the only team that ranked in the top eight in both three-point percentage and the percentage of their shots that came from three. So only the Dallas Mavericks took a greater percentage of their shots from outside the paint than Milwaukee. So Milwaukee also allows the most three-pointers per game for the fourth straight season. That is the one thing with them is because of, I don't think it's going to matter in this series, but moving forward, if they run into teams that just get hot one night and are shooting well from three, Milwaukee kind of just lets it lets it go. And that's something that could be a little bit scary if a team gets good in, in, in a real shooting hot stretch, NBA jam style for two or three games. I think that's the way you beat Milwaukee. And I don't think that Chicago can do that. I agree 100%. Okay, Eric, let's get to the number one seeds. So we don't know who the Suns or the Heat are going to be playing yet. One thing I did want to mention on the Eastern Conference side, the top 10 Eastern Conference teams this year were separated by 10 games. That is, according to ESPN Stats and Info, the closest for any conference since the NBA-ABA merger in 1976. (laughs) There was they were closer from one to ten than they were from one to three in the West. It, it was nuts. Phoenix That's was that much more dominant. Insane. Yeah, this is the closest it's ever been ever for for a top ten teams in any conference, basically since they merged. Um, and the Eastern Conference actually won the season series with the West for the first time since two thousand eight two thousand nine. So fifteen years, basically. And they won this year 226 to 224 They barely they barely got them So second time in the last um, 23 seasons That the East won more interconference games And Man this this Phoenix team Though man they were freaking good They were 8 games better than the second best team In the league this year They look like a hungry team They lost in the finals last year Devin Booker averaging 26.8 points per game 5 rebounds And 4.8 assists and every other player that has ever averaged 26 and a half, 5 and 5 on the number 1 team in the league, they all won the MVP. And and he's the only one that didn't. He didn't hit the 5 assist mark, but those numbers were pretty damn close. You didn't even really hear a lot of talk about him winning the MVP and it's because Jokic and Embiid were so damn good, but Phoenix was number 1 in point differential, number 5 in offensive rating. Number three in defensive rating And number one in net rating CP3 would be one of just seven players Aged 37 or older To start an NBA Finals game Since the NBA started tracking lineups in 1970 I just I don't know in the in the West Who right now The teams that we would have picked Honestly That if I was stacking teams The second, third, and fourth Most likely winners of the Western Conference Right now All have huge injury concerns Dallas Golden State and Memphis If any of those three teams Has their star that's not 100% They can't beat this team I, I just I don't know who They may just be set up really well in a, in a western conference That looks like a lot of these teams are having concerns I think there might be three Teams on the east that could probably match up Pretty well with Phoenix but I don't know I don't. I don't see who would even match up well with them right now in the West, Eric. Yeah, it's it's basically theirs to lose. I mean, that that's basically it. Um, I will say this: 
there is a lot of pressure on them. They came so close last year. They're up 2-0, lost four in a row in the finals. Chris Paul has never done um, this, right? Yeah. He's still every never team, won. Um, every team, I, I heard, I read some crazy stat. I think it was like any team that has finished, um, I think it was like eight games. They were the top team in the league, and they finished eight games um, above the second place team has won a title. As crazy as it sounds, and like people forget, like I know people are just saying, "Well, what about the Warriors team? That Spurs team that year won like a won high like sixty five. Yeah, yeah. So they, they were, were good. The eight. They were good. They were they were within the eight. So yeah, it's um. There's going to be a lot of little perceived pressure on them. You know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't foresee anyone, anyone knocking them out. We'll, you know, we'll see where, when things start to match up and we'll be able to watch their game by games and attack them. But right now I would have played a future price. I would have played a series or to win on Dallas to win the West. If Luca was healthy. Oh, hundred percent without Luca being healthy. That was the team I wanted to play. I look at everybody else and I'm not going to force anything. So I'll play, I'll play the Suns games one at a time. I'll attack them one at a time. We'll see what's going on. But again, like you said, it is different for them this year because no matter what, last year they were the number two seed. I think they played the Lakers. The problem is they weren't favored in that series. No, nobody really thought that Phoenix was going to make it all throughout last year. People were kind of like, oh, okay, Phoenix is sort of getting lucky. They keep running into teams that are injured. And so as dominant as an incredible as they've been, like you said, the dynamic is a little bit different now when the pressure is on you. That's the same thing that Memphis is going to be dealing with now, right? You are picked and favored to win these series now. It's not as if you're sneaking up on anyone anymore. And you, the pressure and the feel of that is a little bit different because now you're going to be playing against teams that don't have that pressure. They're all playing with house money. They're all sort of like, oh, cool. You know, maybe they play the Pelicans or if they play the Clippers, you know, they're both going to feel like, hey, we're, we got a nice opportunity to be here. Hell, we played the whole year without Kawhi and most of it without Paul George. I can't believe we even got us a a series. The Pelicans would, would say the same thing. Hell, we had no Zion for a lot of this year. It's pretty crazy that we're here. And then all of a sudden, what if like game one, you know, Phoenix is a little bit rusty. They haven't played in a week. The team that they're playing just played on Friday, so they'll be a little bit sharper. And then all of a sudden you lose game one, and now you're down one nothing. And then everything sort of flips, right? Yep. Like all that good stuff you've done all year, that doesn't matter anymore when you're down one nothing. And then you start thinking about it, and then you start hearing stuff on the, the – like we said, we don't – I'm the same way. I don't mind watching like PTI and, and the ESPN shows anymore. I, maybe 15, 20 years ago, but – not anymore, but now that's when they all start saying, "Well, uh, Chris Paul's never won, and Chris Paul's this and this." You know, then that narrative starts getting out there. So, I mean, on paper, they're going to be so so tough. It, it doesn't feel the same way for the other number one seed though, because Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly—they were all battling for a, a number one spot until late in the season, and Miami was able to secure that. They um. They're sixth in point differential, twelfth in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating, sixth in net rating. A couple uh, little tidbits for them. So Jimmy Butler, he needs to shoot threes a little bit more for them. Even even if he's not making them at an incredible clip, he just has to keep defensive defenses honest. He has to have the threat of shooting. So 
He's been attempting slightly more threes per game in April. And again, it's not something that's huge, but it makes a little bit of a difference. He's making 1.3 threes per game on three attempts in the last, I think, eight games. Now, this is the only time in any month this year where he's even made one three per game. He's never even averaged more than two and a half shot attempts from three per game. So the fact that he's taking three, he's making 1.3. It's not like it's an incredible clip or anything, but all it does is it it keeps him honest because if everybody knows that Butler's driving every single time, he becomes super easy to defend. If you're just going to pull the trigger a few times a game, it makes you a little bit harder to defend. Shout out to Hero. Awesome year for him. He's averaged 20.7 points per game, 5 rebounds, 4 assists per game, and he he didn't shoot well in the playoffs last year. Your Milwaukee Bucks, they destroyed him, Eric. He only had 9.3 points per game. He shot less than 32%. But what they can do, this Heat team, they can throw a lot of different looks at you. In, you know, they can throw a, a lineup with Max Drews, Hero, and Robinson. That gives them incredible floor spacing with a couple really good shooters out there. And then maybe you have, you know, Bam and one of, you know, Lowry and Butler there. Or maybe you want to go all small. Hell, you go, but you got Butler and Lowry and three shooters. You got Bam. And th- there's different things that they can do with guys who are having good years shooting. I don't know what their ceiling is, but, you know, Atlanta, it lo- it's, what are you thinking? Like Atlanta. You know which way are you leaning You know and and who do you think is it going to be Atlanta Is it going to be Cleveland would either one of them have a Shot against Miami If Jared Allen's finger Is good to go Cleveland has a shot Um, Atlanta Atlanta's tough because defensively They're just such a liability this year Um, If they were 100% with Collins I said yeah Um, You know spoiler For tomorrow's show I took The two and a half on Cleveland because I felt that um, it was going to Allen's going to test it out and I think he's actually going to give it a go. So uh, yeah, I think Cleveland wins. Um, I think they have a chance if Allen's finger makes a recovery. Eric, we will be chatting NBA every day from here on out, brother. Get get used to me if you're going to be sick of my voice. You're going to be hearing a lot over the next month and a half. Any day there's NBA playoffs, we will be talking about it. On BTV bets give us a follow On Twitter there better than dot Vegas is the website Eric will Usually have them streamed to his social Media stuff I'll usually stream them to my Twitter as well so if Monday through Friday 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time Saturday Sunday noon Eastern time and we'll be Talking all NBA my man What uh what do you got coming up on your show this week Um NASCAR uh, my boy Brandon's gonna come on um and uh, we're going to try to make it three winners in a row in NASCAR. And then uh, USL is starting. XFL Jim making his debut appearance on my podcast. And uh, we're going to talk a little XFL, which uh, starts over the weekend. So, yeah, you know, basically, uh, I think that's all I have planned coming up this weekend. And the NFL shows with you. The NBA shows NBA playoffs are upon us Thank you so much buddy You have a fantastic rest of your night And uh, we'll be talking uh, each and every day Good luck throughout the playoffs Unless it's you know games when you're playing against me Then screw you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it It should be a, it should be a good, a good, uh, good playoff
Well, uh, do not go anywhere, folks. We've got a lot more to discuss on this episode. Stay tuned. It's an NBA-centric episode of That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -hmm. Always great work from Eric, so well prepared, and we'll be talking with Eric every day now for the for the NBA playoffs moving forward Monday through Friday 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time at BTV bets on Twitter it's free to listen to our game previews and our analysis come check us out and then on the weekends noon Eastern time we'll preview those Saturday Sunday game slates for you next up Dave Handelin joins me to talk all about the uh, the big win for the Timberwolves they beat the Clippers in the play-in they came back they were down 10 in the fourth quarter came back late and got the job done so we talk about that game and we look ahead as now the T-Wolves have secured a spot in the playoffs. They are the number 7 seed. They'll be playing Memphis in the 7 versus 2 matchup. And then Dave gives a prediction on each of the other series. So more NBA on a massive playoff preview. This one will be a little more Timberwolves, Grizzlies focused, but we'll also get thoughts on all the other games with Dave. Okay, he called his shot on uh, uh, earlier in the week when we talked on Monday. He said that he was going to be back on Friday because the T-Wolves were going to win their first play-in game, and they did. So we know that the T-Wolves have a series. Dave Handlin, I'm going to say I, was, I wasn't I was sure if you'd be back, though, because I, I, I know you're big time now. I saw you all over the TV. You were popping your face in, that beautiful mug all over. So I didn't know if you'd have, like, all sorts of – other engagements and requirements, you know, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to be too, too big for our show nowadays. Nope. Was, I was able to work you in between my PTI appearances. Thank so you. I appreciate it. You squeeze. You, squeeze you've stuck with me since the beginning, Gino. So yeah. You have to reward those. Right? I pre- yeah. I was going to say, we've been together for a while now, you know, so I appreciate you uh, still thinking about us little people here, man. That was that. Could it have been other than like a 30 point blowout for the T wolves? Could, could it have been better than having to win like that? Come back. You didn't get a great game from Cat. Foul trouble throughout. You need to see D'Lo step up. You got Beverly making plays, running all over the place, just going nuts against his former team. You've got Ant on a big stage just showing, hey, look, I'm the next guy. I'm in this next wave of stars that's going to take over the league. That was as cool of a game, it was entertaining. It was a great basketball game. And for you as a fan and someone involved with the team sitting front row like that, that had to be like a top three to five T-Wolves all-time experience, right? Oh, for sure. That that was like, that's when the NBA put in the play in tournament, this is like the exactly the type of game they hope for where it it's running off that March madness vibe. And you're in like a game seven feeling where it's, it's not win or go home exactly, but it, it felt like it the did. team really was going for it. And when the Wolves were down 10 in the fourth quarter and you're going With like nine minutes to go, cats in fall trouble. This isn't looking great. And then all of a sudden it just, it, it clicked and it was, it, it was bad. Like, so cat, everybody watched the game. Cat was in fall trouble and never really got going. Finch kind of put him in with about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And he played a minute and a half and fouled out. And what Alan, the Tim Rose radio announcer, said 
is, you know what, maybe this is a blessing in disguise that he's just out of the way right now for the final seven and a half minutes. And you don't have to worry. Is he going to get a fall or do you have to change your playing style? Not like forcing it to him either because he hadn't been in the flow, right? It's like, okay, yep. we got to get cat involved. Like, let's have cat do it. You sort of feel like he's going to lead you there. And like you said, in a weird way, it almost took the pressure off of everybody else. And they're like, Hey, we're down by 10 with like eight minutes to go. Now we better just play basketball. Yep. Play basketball. And all right, we're going to, we're going to play with, it's going to be a guard orientated offense. D'Lo was cooking. Ant was cooking. All right, it's time. Like the the underrated aspect of it is how much production they got from Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels in that. Absolutely. Not coming coming down the finish line of the regular season. Nas really struggled, and it was, oh, what are you going to get from him? His three point shot wasn't falling. He wasn't having success down low. And then the Wolves signed Greg Monroe as. Like, all right, well, what's Greg Monroe's role going to be in the playoffs? Like, he's he might have something. And Nas maybe only had one chance, but he took that chance and he yep. ran with it. And he just, he abused the Clippers down low. And he was, he was a force. And he was an underrated, you got all the high-paid guys and all the high-profile guys. But it was Nas Reed, I thought, who really stabilized everything down low and gave the Clippers, they weren't, re- they weren't ready for that. And they couldn't handle it. No, and it was... Honestly, these are the type of games for a franchise like Minnesota where you don't you don't win these kind of games. You know, you know, like uh, you, you've had bad luck. It's sort of struggle, and it, and then you like just seeing it play out after talking with you, and and so you know, I've 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 gotten closer with you the last couple of years, and we've had our conversations. I pay attention to the Timberwolves a little bit more because I'm always curious now a little bit more after talking with you and seeing how they do and, Oh wow. They drafted ant and I know D'Lo over there now. So it's kind of cool. And, and I was, I was like, Oh no, this can't happen. Cat's going to be in foul trouble. And then I start watching and the free throws. It's like, no, now we're just missing free throws. At one point you had missed like 10 free throws. Cat had like four points and five fouls and and you're down by 10 and you're just looking around like, this feels like you should be down by more than 10 though. That was what I kept thinking mm-hmm. is, is that like so many things were going wrong. It felt like, Oh, you should, you're still down by like six or eight. You're like, it's not as bad as it should be. It's still within striking range. And I think that was really key. Like you said, it was the, the Nas reads, the McDaniels, those guys who just kind of kept you within striking range to late Ant and D were able to take over. And it, I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to win this game with how everything went wrong. And that was what was cool because that felt like a game that you really didn't have any business winning. And to correct one thing you said earlier, you said the Timberwolves don't win games like that. Why don't the Timberwolves win games like that, Gino? Because we're not in games that's like the tr- that. Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Postseason that's- for people, like since Twitter's been around and podcasters are around, the Timberwolves really have not been a playoff contender. So no. We're not in in that scenario ever. Yeah. So this is, this is something different for us. No, it was, it was fun. It was, that's everything you hope for. And then for Ant to pop on the screen like that. And for D'Lo after one point in the first quarter, D'Lo fires back with 14 in the second. He was Just like even the way the game calming with, presence wanted, too. You know, he yeah. actually was like a, he felt like a veteran and all of the things that people will say negatively about D'Lo, you know, like, is he, a mature leader. Can he be your number one? And can he, you know, can you count on him all the time and stuff? He was, 
it was it's like the perfect role for him there because when Towns wasn't around, he was very confident being like, I can steady the ship for a little while. He he stepped right into it and had no problem. The one thing about D'Lo, whether you like him, whether you don't, this guy has been through a lot already in his NBA career, in his short NBA career. This guy was drafted to the Lakers. He was supposed to be like the savior, and then he was shipped off from the Lakers for nothing. He went over to Brooklyn and he kind of carried this group of Brooklyn players that Mm -hmm. weren't that great. And they overachieved. Then they sent him out to golden state. Like he's done. He's been all over the place already. And he's been sort of like up and down. He had that stuff with Nick young where he, he got him in trouble with Iggy. You know, he's he's a guy who's, who's been there. So I, you know, he's got his bumps and I was, I was like proud of him as someone who watched him as a Laker. It made me feel great to see him, do so well in, in, in a big moment like that. And now you're not going to say that, Oh, you're going to go in and and get swept and it's okay. But you feel a lot better about the way the season ends. I think regardless after that result and and your team winning in a big game in a moment like that, and just getting yourselves into a a nice series here, as we'll talk about coming up with Memphis. Yeah, no, that's, that was going to be a big thing. Like there was a chance of the season. We kind of talked that there's a chance to get in kind of with a sour taste or now. All right. Now, now you're in now kind of everything justified, like the 46 wins during the regular season. It is what it is. Like it was a good season. Okay. Now what can we do now? They, what, what can he add extra to this season? And no, for what you're saying, like Devo, like, He's not one of those highly emotional players on the court. He's never overly high. He's never down low, like for for how he is emotionally. So, like in a in a moment like that, he kind of he's D'Lo throughout it, and he, he there's a little smile and a little bit of emotion out of him on that. But like his post game interview, and he's saying, "No, we expected to be here. Like now, the real work begins. Like that's that's D'Lo for you." And he, yeah, he, heck, he 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 did what he needed to do to get us. He's it's not out. It's not explosive. He's he's going to be going against John Morant. He's completely different than John Morant with his playing style. He's like just just the silky smooth kind of just slithers his way in there. Like gets to his spot. He's at the rim for a layup. Yeah, he just kind of gets to that corner, stops, and he gets a little bit of separation, and he hits that like little like mid range jumper. He's, he's the old man at noon ball. He is. No, he is, and he has performed very well against Memphis this year in the four games against Memphis this year, which you guys split two, two, everybody won their home games. He averaged 31 points per game. And when you flip it on the other side, jaw played in all four of the games against Minnesota and jaw only averaged 20 points per game in those. And we don't really know how healthy he is coming into this series. Again, flip side, they've been fantastic without jaw. They were 20 and five without him, but Things are a lot different in the playoffs now when the game slows down and it tightens up. This is going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be a great matchup. Like you're two young NBA teams. I'm, I, I haven't seen the numbers, but I have to assume they're two of like the three youngest teams in the postseason. Like so both both rosters about, are extremely young. So Memphis average age is twenty four point four years old, based on um like. And and they're the youngest team to finish in a top two record since minutes became official in 1951, according to ESPN stats and info. So they base this on like the average amount of minutes you play based on how old you are. And yeah. if they make the NBA finals, they'll be the youngest team ever to make the NBA finals, Memphis. Okay. So yeah, these two teams are real. And just what, what that stat is, 
it's not even that they're just like young top to bottom, but like their key contributors are all really young players and, and players who are like up and coming that next wave. Yep. This is, so this is on the big stage. The NBA is going to be able to showcase them a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see what television games that they get. I know they're, I think TNT and ESPN games one and three, and we'll, we'll see what happens with game two that might get that dreaded NBA TV slot, but we'll, we'll see what happens in the the Miami versus who they play, but no, it's, it's going to be exciting. These, these two teams have history. They're young. And with the personalities that the teams have there, there's been a lot of chirping in the, in, mm-hmm. in the series. So this is going to be, this is going to be a wild series. I'm, I'm guess at some point there's going to be some sort of a skirmish. I think hundred percent. There's going to be a couple when Bever- Beverly's there. in there. And on the other side, Dylan Brooks is one of those yep. dudes that he's, he's down to throw down if he has to. And so Steven Adams too, right? He'll, oh, yeah. He'll puff his chest out a little bit. So this you've got be... two crowds, two fan bases that it's not like like Memphis, like their crowd is going to be wild. For oh, them. they haven't had a ton of these Minnesota games either recently. Yeah. It's, it's going to oh. be motion galore in this series with these crowds and the, these players. Like it's, it's going to be a really fun one. So some positives on the Minnesota side. I don't think this is something that a lot of people know. Towns, Ant, Vanderbilt, Pat Bev, D'Angelo. The starting five, one of just seven lineups uh, league-wide to outscore opponents by at least 100 points when on the court. Um, awesome, awesome group of starters there. And this is a team that's been kind of – it's been a little strange with the defense. There have been st- stages through the year where the defense has been incredible and then other stages where it's lapsed a little bit. I mm-hmm. think they're going to be a couple sort of a points of attack for Memphis because Memphis – they want to they want to run a little bit, and Minnesota is not great in transition points allowed. So I think that's one thing where you're going to have to try to slow the game down a little bit, not let them run a little bit. Defensive rebounding percentage, that's sort of a major weakness for Minnesota, major strength for Memphis. So, you know, it's playoff basketball. That slows down, and I think that's one of the reasons why I, I do like Minnesota's chances in here because digging into – you know, when I'm I'm handicapping all these series, a lot of the stuff that Memphis does well are things that are a little bit more difficult to do in the playoffs. Fast break points, second chance points. Those debt those generally go down both per game and as a percentage of your total points scored. They're like a hustle team. Yep. Right. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to do other things, but they're not necessarily like a great shooting team. They're 26th in mid-range field goal. They're 17th in three-point percentage. They're 28th in percentage of their shots that came from the three. So they're not going to light you up from three. They're not going to shoot a ton from three. They're going to try to turn you over and run, run, run. So that's the key, I think, for for your side, right? Eliminating mistakes and just trying to make it like as much of a half-court game and not a run up and down, back and forth game. And not giving up points at the rim to not giving up easy points. Like yep. the, the one thing that's like killed the Timberwolves this year on defense is just giving up wide open three point shots, teams that move the ball around and make that second, third pass when they maybe don't need to and get to the wide open corner shots. And those shot, three point shots have killed the Timberwolves. And you saw that kind of with the Clippers where it seemed like Norman Paul and Reggie Jackson, Nicholas Batum were getting these wide open shots. And those were yep. the ones that kind of killed us. That is not what Memphis is good at. No. And that's, I think, where 
yeah, like you said, the Wolves are going to have a chance because the playing styles in this do match up mm-hmm. all right. That uh, heck with the other teams that are in the playoffs in the in the West right now. Like think about Memphis the think about the injuries the best with the Timberwolves than or the Timberwolves match up better with the Memphis than they do kind of the other teams, even the three, four, five, six seeds. Your draw, you you couldn't have asked to draw into a better spot either because you play a Memphis team that's been really good and a really fun story, but their superstar has been hurt down the stretch and they're not proven. Mm-hmm. We got to make them prove it in the playoffs. They they were a great regular season story. And whoever wins this series will then move on and get to play in a series where we don't know. Again, look look at the West, the rest of the teams in the West. We don't know what's going on with Luka. We don't know what's going to go on with Steph Curry or how healthy they're going to be. I mean, you look around. Right. And like you say, Steph, but what's Draymond? What's is Clay going to be able to like survive? Like they've got their issues. Utah. Is Jamal Murray going to be back? Utah doesn't even like each other. I mean, Utah is funny. There's some funny metrics because Donovan Mitchell just like doesn't pass it to to Rudy Gobert ever during their games. (laughs) And it's like one of those things where it's like he passes it to him. Two times a game, not two assists, two passes in a game throughout every game, only twice a game. Like you accidentally pass it to people more than that. Just... Hey, teams are running a box and one on, on Rudy, right? They're taking it away. <laughs> so if it is, and we're talking and wishfully thinking about this, but the lay of the land for Minnesota, if they were able to get an upset here or win a couple games and feel good about themselves. You know, you just look at the way everyone else is set up right now. And a lot of teams are struggling with injuries are having a lot of questions. Minnesota kind of knows who they are. You know what you're going to get from them. They're going to play hard. And that was like about as bad of an effort as you'll get. And they still were able to get through that Clippers team the other night. Yep. I, I, the winner, I think the winner of the series probably is in the Western conference, Western conference. I agree. Finals. And granted, that's I agree. Winning one more series, but I, I really do think that it's very possible for both these teams, Memphis or Minnesota to do that. Com- one, especially once they have the confidence of winning this, winning a series. Completely agree. Um, so Memphis, Minnesota, that series is going to start on Saturday. We'll have four four games on Saturday, four games on Sunday. These first couple days of the playoffs, Dave, are awesome where you get that. Now, one thing to just mention before we get into, uh, I want to get a, like a quick prediction from you for each of them. How about Paul George coming today? We just find out that you were recording this on Friday. We find out that Paul George has tested positive for COVID and is now going to be out of the game in health and safety protocols on Friday night. So you think about the Clippers who were up by 10 late in the fourth quarter against their Timberwolves the other night. If they win that game, it doesn't quite matter as much because Paul George gets another couple days and at least a few extra games. Now the Clippers are going to be in some serious trouble later tonight. And you think about three years since they made this trade for Kawhi and Paul George, the team, I actually just was listening to some of Bill Simmons talk about it. The team, when they made that trade that year, they had that, that fun overachieving team. Remember with Beverly and Lou Williams and, and Harold who were all playing really, really well. They were awesome off the bench. They ended up winning, I think 46 games. And then the late, then they made the trade for Kawhi. And that was right when the Lakers made the trade for Anthony Davis. 
And it was the year after LeBron came. And since the Clippers made the trade, they went from a 46-win team to a 48-win team. And they never got deeper. They never got to the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> and and my boy, my new boy, Patrick Beverly, right? had like tweeted after that, like after they made like this trades, is my he was like on the roster. This is my I league. Or... Won the effing championship, right? Yeah. When they got both of them. He said that. He did. That's so, so great. I haven't paid close attention to the NBA. They didn't win the championship. They did not they did win happen. the championship. And that was just a really funny dynamic. I remember it so well because being out here, all of that stuff was happening right around 4th of July because Kawhi wouldn't make his decision. And I had a, a people, my, some of my buddies were over on 4th of July and we were like checking our phones every few minutes because we thought Kawhi was coming to the Lakers. And all of the rumors were telling us this. And then the Clippers thing came out of nowhere. At like one thirty in the morning, like right? my time was like one thirty yeah. or one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. It was like what Paul George and all. What the hell? Like it came out of absolutely nowhere because PG just agreed to go back to OKC. We had Snoop Dogg out here going Kawhi, Kawhi, like singing Kawhi <laughs> songs, and it was just hilarious. I could, I one of the more like vivid memories I have are of that stretch of time where we're just all watching and wondering what's going to happen. And at least for the Lakers, who you know aren't even in the play-in or playoffs to talk about, at least they got their chip out of it, right? So they got yeah. their title. So anytime you get a title, what well, all the crazy moves you make are worth it if you end up getting to the promised land. But for the Clippers now, they're not built very well moving forward. And this is a this is the second year in his career where Kawhi didn't play a game. Yeah, that's that's it's not a good sign. Like and. <laughs> May, things will change around at some point, but you just think with like those injuries, like for how hard Kawhi played for all those years at San Antonio, Two a. like may, does it start catching up with you at some point with yeah, how he those is? Minutes. Those like, minutes. Steve, Steve, there was a point during the mm, four, third or fourth quarter when I Timberwolves were shooting a free throw and it was pretty quiet in there. And there was, just, I heard yelling going on and it was, Steve Ballmer underneath the hoop yelling at one of the Timberwolves <laughs> to miss free throws. And sitting right next to him was my close personal friend, Jimmy Goldstein. And <laughs> But I, I, I was laughing at that and I'm like, yeah, that's ball. That's the owner trying to do that. And he, 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 I don't think he was pleased with the end of that game. And No. And what's funny about all of it is it just shows you how hard it is to win because that guy's done everything right since he's become an owner. He oh, came yeah. in, there was an awful owner in before him. He spent a ton of money. He's brought their coaching staff, their facilities. They're getting a new arena. Like he's put everything into them. He really wants to win. And this guy, I mean, he's he's been someone who is really kind to all the media and, and people and so kind that people have been like, Ballmer's buying the media out here in LA, you know, mm -hmm. and he wants them to say good things about the Clippers, but he'll send them like nice stuff. And I don't even think it's for that. I think the guy genuinely... He just wants to succeed. And it shows you, he went out and he made the moves that people, everybody would have made. Everybody would do it again right now. But because that team that we said, that Pat Bev, Lou Williams team, they weren't going to ever win the title. They were a fun team that, that overachieved and won 45 games and made the playoffs, but they weren't a championship team. This team, when healthy, could absolutely be a championship team. Hell, look at the guys they brought in this year too, with like Covington and Powell, and some of those role players, if you actually had a healthy Kawhi and PG, they'd be pretty tough. But conversation for another day, Dave. That's a conversation for the offseason. Okay, so let's get some quick hit predictions from you. 
Utah Dallas is the first game on Saturday. What do you, I mean, how, how do we make a prediction on this series? Not knowing what's going on with Luca. We know he's out for game one. I mean, maybe they could get feisty for a game or two, but if he's not healthy, they can't win. Right. I, I don't think so. And I know there are people who think that Dallas can overcome that. We'll see how bad the Luca injuries. So <clears throat> playing, going back on this, Remember in game 81, Luca picked up his 16th technical fall. Yes. And he should have been sitting You're game right. 82 because of suspension. Well, Dallas was able to get that overturned. Luca was right. able to play game 82 as they were maybe still trying to get to the three seed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He gets injured. They don't get to the three seed, so they stay where they would have stayed anyways. And Talk. now Talk now about the all-time backfire, right? Like so I was like, God, Mark Cuban should sue the NBA for not a, for rescinding that. <laughs> for rescinding football. it, right? Yeah, sue him again. <laughs> you helped us out. <sighs> but no, I think we'll see. That's in grand for Dallas. Like if, if there's a team you're going to be playing, it's probably Utah. Like with what you were saying with. With they don't even like each other going on there's there. Quinn Snyder to the Laker rumors. You know, there's like there's just not a good energy over there. They've gotten the, the thing about Utah too. the last. Two years, they've had bad playoff exits. The Clippers last year, Denver a few years ago when they blew that lead in the bubble. And I think they lead the league in blown double-digit leads in the fourth quarter this year. Mm-hmm. They do and it all the point. time, even Especially in the last, last two weeks. Like two weeks of the season, right? they just The got... Clippers, there were two of them. The Clippers and the Warriors, I think, they were up by 20 points both in the second half and blew both of those games. So, yeah, they're... They're, they're going to have the work cut out. Like This is where the, the, the Perzingis trade, when you get Dinwiddie back, so you're going to have Dinwiddie and Brunson, who are going to be probably carrying a lot of the, the scoring load on this if, if Luka's going to be out. And yep. that, that gives them a fighting chance. And so, who knows? Maybe Dallas can win game one I know. Home. I would play them in that. That would be the game I'd play them, right? Like game one, they're like a five-point underdog. Yep. And they may be able to sneak in. Utah's just got all this bad energy. Like this may end up if if Luca can't play for a full series and a, and it goes six or seven games, I think Utah could just wear them down and just end up having too much. And this may end up just being the perfect spot for Utah running into a team without Luca. But I don't, I don't like Dallas's chances moving forward if Luca's not healthy. And I sh- I really don't like Utah's chances at making any noise or making a deep run. But it's one of those things where like someone's got to win. Yeah. <laughs> Someone has to win. And the benefit Dallas has on this is just where the this first round gets dragged out a little bit with the, the time between games. Yes, because there's so many series still going. You so get an extra two days gonna, or three days sometimes. A little bit. Where maybe maybe he maybe they can survive and split the first two games and give right. them an extra week to kind of recoup from this. And, and then he's back for the second half of the series, and you yeah. got a you got a puncher's chance there. Because yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to fade Utah. How about but, Toronto? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll pick Utah in that series. I think, and I think that's where their line is right now. I think. Yeah, like, me too. I'd, I'd lean Utah right now on the series, and I, I just think probably Utah there. Even though uh, we'll we'll see about that. Not not so, overly confident, but I would lean Utah just because of Luca. We got Toronto, Philly. These are two teams that are complete like polar opposites from a matchup standpoint. Too Toronto. Wants to run, run, run. They have no bigs. They don't play anyone in their rotation that's over 6'9". It's all smalls. They have Siakam basically start at center. And then it's going to be the flip side. They're going to go big with Embiid, try to bang down low, try to slow things down. And what we did find out is that 
it will hurt Philly not having Tybal, who's like their best defensive player. He's not vaccinated, so he can't make the trip up to Canada for half of those games uh, when they play Toronto. So that could hurt, you know, in those games. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are are picking Toronto and on the Toronto side, I think this will be a one of the better first round series because it feels like one of those where it's going to be like, okay, this is the game that Toronto wins because they go smaller and run. And then the next game, Philly counters and goes a little bit bigger. I could see this being like a real chess match back and forth. No, for sure. I it, it's in Nick nurse, right. Is he's a, he's, I'll take him over the title talk. there. He, he, yeah. he gets his teams to overachieve. And this Toronto team, I don't think people thought was going to be that good this year. Well, here they are. And I do think they're going to win this series. I, I Philly just doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies. Like we saw them right after the Harden trade. Like their first game was against us when they were with everything. And they're front and runners. They unstoppable. And they're front runners, they right? Really good again. And then it just kind of started going downhill and yep. Harden's not saying the right things. And it's when they get punched in the, they're the type of, Guys, when they get punched in the mouth, they just feel like they're going to curl up in a ball, you yes. know, and they're not going to punch you back. Like, are are they going to be able to fight you and go back and forth? And the real the real difficult thing for them is their numbers, like their on off numbers with Embiid are insane. And that's always been their problem. And again, they had to trade Drummond in order to for the Harden trade. And so now they have a situation where when. Embiid goes out, their backups are DeAndre Jordan, who can't play. I'm telling you, he just played for the Lakers this year. He cannot get on the court. There's no way. And Paul Millsap, they they have nothing. Andre Drummond was worlds better for them as a backup. Or Dwight Howard, who they had a couple years ago. And that was the problem when they lost to Toronto a few years back. The Every minute that Embiid is on the court, they're plus and they do well. And the five minutes that Embiid comes off, they absolutely get destroyed. And and that happened again all year long. And I'm worried that might be a similar thing. These were the numbers, Dave. They So the two games they played since the All-Star break against each other, Toronto and Philly, Toronto won both of those games. And Joel played 75 minutes and he was a plus 15 during those 75. But in the 21 minutes he was on the bench, Philly got outscored 61 to 36 <laughs> in the 2019 conference semifinals. Philly got outscored by 109 points in the 99 minutes when Joel was off the floor. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> no, that's not good. So that's it. Yeah, when that's... he comes out, it's just automatic runs to the rim. Toronto is one of those teams that like, I wouldn't want to play in a series either. They are going to be a hard out for whoever ends up beating them. Cause they just don't stop. Don't stop. They're well coached and they play hard. We'll see Philly's chance. They're gonna just have to. They're gonna have to just give the ball to Embiid down low, and yeah. he he might shoot twenty free throws every game. And if he does yeah. that, that's probably getting like Siakam in foul trouble, Chris Boucher, and, her, and banging trouble. them up a little bit, right? Because it it's gonna wear on those smaller guys to mm-hmm. have to to get beat up by Embiid throughout the series. Like they don't even have big bodies that they can throw at him to at least eat up some minutes and get a couple fouls for them. That's going to have to be Siakam doing some of the dirty work. So yeah, he's going to have to, and there's going to be a lot of whistles and there's probably going to be a lot of <laughs> Nick nurse eye rolls on the sidelines from just another call, not going their way. And it, it's if Philly's going to win. It's going to be, a, it's going to be an ugly free throw fest between Harden and Embiid. 
Yep. Which is they, not. No, it's not going to be sexy basketball. Series and it's right? just like, oh, I just, it's going to be tough to like really enjoy that series. It's, it's going to be intense. Be whistles. And kind of exciting, but to watch what happens. But yeah, like you said, it's going to be blah type basketball. We finish up Saturday night with Denver Golden State. And yeah, I mean, looks like it's going to be Curry. And what a great job Jokic has done all year long. I feel like Denver's a little tired right now. Can can they somehow you know make a little noise to get Jamal Murray back? We talked about that the other day. And then if so, is he even someone you you have come back if he hasn't played a game all year long? Yeah, it's like and we're seeing this like like I know Simmons in the Brooklyn series, and we'll talk about that, but I, I just you hate rolling guys in after they haven't played and throwing them into high leverage situations. And it's Jokic is Jokic is gonna be the MVP. He's damn good, but Oh, that's that's a lot a lot of talent on that team that you're that you're gonna try to beat. And I just don't think he I don't think the Jokic show that has been successful during the regular season is enough to win a series like this against Golden no. State. Like this Golden State team is if they were healthy in the way they started the year, like this is a finals caliber team. We just don't know what we're gonna get. And I, I just think Golden State is too much for them. And like all right, if Golden State's healthy, could this be a possible sweep? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Golden State probably in five and something like this. I, Jokic, will, Jokic will win them one. Uh, Mike Malone is a hell of a coach, but I just they're just so outmanned. I know. If you just think the depth that Golden State has, even with some of their injuries, like their bench players this year, guys like Poole who really who really stepped up, and Kaminga, Porter Jr. They just have a lot more pieces that I trust. Than uh, than what Denver's able to to throw out there, but fantastic year from Jokic and uh, in kind of carrying them here. And Golden State, I think I mentioned this uh, on the other um, interview I did. Their top three guys this year have played together for eleven minutes. <laughs> Clay, Steph, and Draymond. Because when Clay came back, the game he came back, Draymond hurt his back, and the game Draymond came back, Steph got hurt. So, so they literally played th- a combination of 11 minutes. What's even funnier is their projected starting lineup with those three guys and um, Looney and Wiggins. They've played a total of seven seconds together this year. I love that that was even recorded. You and that was I- the, right. And that was the, probably the Draymond. Yep. Where he, he came out there just to kind of the ceremonial. Yep. <laughs> yep. It was like, it was was seven seconds and it wasn't even playing. So it's so funny that that's like, so they they will have to work on their flow a little bit, but yeah, I think in this situation, Golden State might wear them down. As of now, when we're recording, we only know what two of the games might look like on Sunday because we don't know exactly who's going to win the plane for the other two, but perhaps, I mean, for me, at least the most intriguing series in the first round is Boston, Brooklyn. This thing could be really fun because Boston's not going to have Robert Williams as a big that may not hurt them as much against Brooklyn. Cause Brooklyn doesn't really have a big offensively. It's going to make things easier for Kyrie and Durant, obviously getting to their hoop and, you know, being able to score without a, a big presence down there. But I mean, I could see we, us having games where it's like Tatum scores 50 Durant scores 50 Kyrie comes back. Jalen Brown's capable of monster nights. This could be a really fun back and forth. Yeah, this will be this should be that. And yeah, you're gonna see there's gonna be some big box scores, it feels like during this game or this the series. And we'll see like Ky, 
Kyrie against his old team, like Marcus Smart going at him. Like Marcus Smart's going to be a dog going at Kyrie in this. Like it's, I'm ex- this. Yes, this should be a very fun series. They're each who knows, and is Simmons going to come back? But I saw that they were targeting maybe Game Four. Is like, but how? Yeah. He's another one, and him even more than like. Okay, if Jamal Murray or Kawhi, like that would be shocking. I wouldn't do it myself, but like, okay, I can see them doing it. Ben Simmons hasn't ever played for this team. Yeah. One, he hasn't played a game this year too. The last time we saw him play, he couldn't even make a free throw. Like he had mentally crumbled. And And he talked about some of that. He has had mental health struggles throughout, which I can completely respect, but I can also say that if you have some of those, should the best place for you be on a playoff in a playoff game, like at Boston on the court, trying to guard Jason Tatum when that crowd is going nuts on you. If it were me, the moment he stepped on the court, I would hack him right away and make him go try to shoot free throws. Yep. For for sure. Like you, <laughs> it, it's, I don't, it's, it just doesn't seem like the right place to work him back. Cause no. like, what do you, when you haven't played with him, like, yeah, Murray, Murray and Jokic, they're going to figure it out and they know how to play and it's sure. like riding a bike. They'll be, they'll be fine with this. All right. What, what's his role on the offense? Kyrie's going to be ball dominant. Durant's going to have the ball. All right. Uh, hey, welcome to the team, Ben Simmons. Uh, go stand over there, screen some people and try to get offensive rebounds. And you're not, you're not, Hey, 20 minutes a game. We're going to give you the ball. Ben Simmons go create. Like, that's not what it. It's not what his role is going to be on offense, at least at this point of, in the process. Like defensively, he's yeah, he probably can hold his own and be all right. But offensively, what what do you do with him? Do you, you can't run him out there with a the second team, I don't think, and say, all right, Ben, now now it's your time. They're not going to trust him to do that. It's just I don't know. Defensively, they'll be fine with him. Offensively, I don't know where they work him in. Just throw him into the series and hey, all right, now go to work. It. it like, if he was a catch and shoot, if he was a three and D guy, right? All right, stand it, in the corner. Where it's going to be really once they find find a role for him, and they're like, "Oh, okay, he'll be the dunker spot guy." Yep. I, I I can see it absolutely working if he's in shape and if everything is like one hundred percent. You've not like like you said, how is he going to even know where to stand on the court? Yeah. Hey, for the first <laughs> time, you're going to be a you're going to be a center, Ben Simmons. Yeah. And that's that's what your role is going to be. You've been a point guard forever with the ball in your hand, and now you're not going to have the ball really ever. <laughs> but you need we need you to screen. We need you to still do important things. And oh yeah, by the way, go guard Jason Tatum yeah. for us. You know, like well, your back. Yeah. You've had back problems and stuff. Go try to react to Tatum cutting and pump faking and all that stuff. I just, just don't get fouled, right? I mean, it's like I don't. I just can't see it and. If it happens, I will. Will uh, you and I will cheers and say what a what a cool story. But yeah, I just I can't see that final Sunday uh, series that we know as of now to dissect. So um, we jump into Bulls Bucks and the Bulls were another team that were like they were a fun story earlier in the year. Things were going really really well for them, and they just weren't quite deep enough to sustain the Lonzo and the Caruso injuries. They were 39 and 21 on February the 21st. Uh, and they were number one in the East. Since then they went seven and 15 and they went from first to sixth. 
Yeah, the and in that stretch you have DeRozan scoring forty points every game and hitting sh- <laughs> game winning shots and that all all the feel goods from there have kind of went away and then yeah. now they're now they're walking into this Milwaukee series where it it's going to be they I, I see people predicting where this is like potentially the best chance of like a sweep with Milwaukee where yeah, it's, yeah. Milwaukee's not going to take any they're crap. T- Milwaukee's a ten point favorite in Game One. Yeah, that's just that tells you right there. Yep. You know, the other series are all four, five, you know, for the home team ish. And it'll probably flip back the other way when they're on the road. It'll be close to even, you know, pick them types. But you just look at the this Bulls team. And the, the main thing is they're just bad defensively. They're bad. They're 23rd in defensive rating. And the things that in order to beat Milwaukee, like you can look at Milwaukee and go, Oh, they have some, some weaknesses because Milwaukee just sort of lets you shoot threes mm-hmm. and they like pack their paint. They make it tough for you to score inside, but they just let you bomb away from threes. So if you're the type of team who does shoot a lot of threes and can get hot, you can beat them. No doubt about it, but that's not Chicago. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not who they are. Like other teams. Yes. That's not Chicago. That's not what, they're gonna do like so it's just rose in mid, mid-range like all right we're gonna yeah. get to that well that's you just we'll don't figure out a way to stop that Middleton or Giannis on if they want to take that away all right Middleton or Giannis good luck DeRozan with that like they'll have some success but they can't count on that as a way to as a way to win like it's the Chicago yeah like and I know we talked about with Cleveland a couple days ago like those were two teams that they were both top four in the East mm-hmm. and everything was looking great through the first 40 or 50 games. And then it just all kind of fell apart and it kind of back to reality a little bit on what those teams became. And it's, it's bad, but you know what, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe they can give a little bit of a run, but yeah, I, I think Milwaukee and four or five on that. Yeah, I agree. So something that Milwaukee won all four games this year that they played and and something to keep an eye on because I know you love looking for this stuff just like I do. If this series gets a little bit out of hand, the there might be a little chippiness here too because Grayson Allen hurt Caruso earlier in the year. Okay. You know, he cost Caruso 22 games with a broken wrist kind of because of a dirty foul. And the Grace, last... Wait, Grayson Allen did that? Oh, yeah. Stop me if you've heard that one before, right? C- color me surprised. So, and then... The last two times the teams played each other in the playoffs was back in 2015, and Chicago just beat the crap out of the, the Bucks in Game 6. They beat them 120-66 to 66 in that game. And Giannis was there. Young Giannis, remember, he tackled Mike Dunleavy into the okay. stands. Yes. And that was when these two teams played in the playoffs back in 2015. So you have that there, and they got the crap kicked out of them, and now the tables have turned to where the Bucks are obviously the more dominant team. And then you have maybe on the other side, if I could see one game where the bulls are down, one of the bulls players getting pissed off and trying to go after Grayson Allen, you know, because of what he did to Caruso. So we'll monitor the uh, fight watch in this series too. I think we might, we might get one if it, if it gets out of, cause you know how this, once those players realize that we're down three Oh, or it's like game four and we're getting crushed and you know your series is over, man. I've seen Dwight Howard clothesline JJ Barea. I've seen I've seen some funny oh, yeah. things go down when you know that there's no no more games tomorrow, you know. I think right, even I think even didn't Beverly do that to Chris Last Paul. Last year Beverly pushed season? Chris Paul from behind. Yeah, you're right. 
<laughs> we <laughs> exactly. It happens. it happens to all of them. So yeah, the Battle of Lake Michigan. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye there on that one, Dave. Man, I'm so glad we got to catch up and uh, and talk about your T Wolves again. So we'll 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 call it right now. If they win this series, we yeah. have to get you back to preview who they play the next series. We got to keep riding the hot hand if the, if it works. Wolves in six. Wolves in six. Let's do it. Let's do it. T-Wolves tip off on Saturday. A uh, couple of really cool days of NBA basketball where Saturday and Sunday, the NBA gets to sort of have the, the spotlight this weekend. We'll have games all throughout the day Saturday and then four more on Sunday. Dave Handelin, thank you so much, buddy. Good luck to your T-Wolves. And uh, I'm, we'll be uh, – Canterbury's not too far away. Right around the corner. Canterbury month, almost yeah. a month from today. Uh, yeah. Is what it is. Awesome. So we'll uh, we'll have to get you back. Yeah. Talk some of those uh, pick fives. Love playing the races up at Canterbury. Tell Paul Allen hello and uh, good luck with your T-Wolves, buddy. Thanks so much for taking some time. All right. Sounds good. Have a good weekend, everyone. And make sure to give Dave a follow on social media. He's He does a great job uh, posting T-Wolves stuff, posting funny stuff there at super stats dave check him out and uh hopefully we'll get a chance to see that gorgeous mug again on tv like we did the other day that was that was beautiful love seeing you you pop on in there dave <laughs> dave handling helping us out don't go anywhere folks still a lot more on this episode Listen in as Gino and friends give you all the specifics on who to bet and how to make some money. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Another big Stable Duel weekend coming up. If you're uh, playing the, the games this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, Woodbine does join the party. Stable Duel Saturday is going to be focused a lot on Keeneland. Laurel has a couple games, and then you have a Woodbine opener. We're going to give you a couple plays for Woodbine for Saturday, and then also for Sunday. Woodbine has a $50 game, a couple different games at Gulfstream, a $30 game at Santa Anita. We'll talk about that one a little bit. Golden Gate and Hawthorne have games this weekend on Sunday at Stable Duel. Get those entries in and play, race, win. We're going to be winning some money in just a few weeks over at Louisiana Downs. Their opening day is May the 7th. They race from May 7th through September the 27th. And most days they will have seven races carded with a late pick four and a 15% takeout in the late pick four each and every day. We're going to target that late pick four. We're going to have handicapping videos, segments here, guest handicappers. We're going to really dive in to Louisiana Downs every day that they're racing throughout the meet. They've got new ownership there. They're very excited. They really want to improve their racing product, so I'm happy to help, and we're going to be diving in. We're going to be handicapping, and we're going to make some money there. They have win, play, show, exact, the try, Super Daily Double Pick 3 wagering over at Louisiana Downs, and we'll continue to provide information for you. They're going to run Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So their opening day will be Saturday, Kentucky Derby Day on May the 7th. So they'll have that uh, Monday, Tuesday early in the week, and then they'll run the weekend days Saturday and on Sunday. We'll be talking about those races right here every day they race on That's What G Said podcast. So get ready to start Diving into Louisiana Downs. Woodbine opens this weekend. I've been known to dabble in a little Woodbine. Let's get to a couple plays for Saturday, and then I'm going to have some Woodbine in Santa Anita Sunday. If you need more help with Saturday races, I already recorded a, a show with Keeneland and Santa Anita, but the way that the, the timing of these shows worked out this week, I had a little extra time. I took a look at some Woodbine racing for Saturday, April the 16th. Let's dive into the past performances as we head to race number two. They're going five furlongs on the synthetic. I'm looking at the six summer sunset. Now, what makes it difficult early in the meet is all of these horses haven't been racing recently. Almost all of them are coming off of layoffs. They only have a few works. So we're looking at last year's form and we're diving into just their preparation coming into this. Summer Sunset, I think if you toss the six and a half furlong race last out, you're left with two races that make a lot more sense. This horse ran into one, uh, an animal named One Timer who won a stakes race next out at Santa Anita and then was in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. 
horse named Ironstone beat Summer Sunset on August the 29th. Ironstone won a stakes next out, then was second in back-to-back stakes races as grade three placed. The runner-up in that race, Weir's Neal, came back to win the Bullpage stakes next out. I like the six. Summer Sunset. Best effort was the career debut going five furlongs, so we know that he can fire fresh. Then he tried stakes races back-to-back. I think it's a much better spot for Summer Sunset. The number six is four to one on the morning line. Anything around five to two make a win wager there. Perhaps an early exotics single. We move along to the fourth race. Optional 40 here going five furlongs. I thought the four JMR Gemma, just with the recency factor, the only horse in the field with a race since January, she should have a fitness edge over them. Then we look back at last year when she raced on the synthetic in her only synthetic race at Woodbine. It was not bad at all. She was second at 24 to 1. She ran really well and she didn't have the best of breaks that day. She actually moved, got the lead, and then just got nailed. And then she ends up winning her next start when she went over to Penn National after that. She's the only one with some recency. She has speed, but she can also pass horses. JMR Gemma is 10 to 1 on the morning line. Let's throw her into your exotics. Race 4 kicks off the $100,000 guaranteed pick 4. You can play it for just a 20 cent based wager if you'd like. Let's get to race number 7. It's the Long Branch $100,000 stakes race, 5.5 furlongs on the synthetic. The number 3, Genie B. Another horse who, you know, you look at the form of Genie B, she's faced some very nice runners, was in the grade 2 Royal North a few starts back, was second, was beaten just a nose, then went over to Kentucky and tried a really tough grade 3, and didn't race from September to March, returned in March at Gulfstream on the synthetic, going 5, and that was a pretty tough race. The second place finisher came back to win next out, Honey Pants. That was the first start in a while for Jeannie B, who hadn't raced from September to March. She now has the benefit of a race under her belt, where a lot of her com- competitors and her main rivals are Secret Agent, Dreaming of Drew. They don't have recent form at all. I think the three, Jeannie B, gets a good trip in here and has a major opportunity at 7-2 to two on the morning line. Anything around 5-2 to two would be fair. We'll treat her like a late exotic single. Three plays over at Woodbine on Saturday. Best of luck as we shift from Saturday to Sunday. I could only get two on uh, on Sunday that I liked. It's Like I said, it's, it's sort of difficult early on in the meet with a lot of horses coming off of long layoffs to have the strongest opinions where a bunch of them haven't re- had recent form in a few weeks when everyone starts coming back and racing their second and third time. That's when I personally can do a lot better because I'm someone... You know, I'm sure most of you who know that watch these races, I'm someone who will take a lot more out of the replays, and that, that's how I get a real feel for horses. Woodbine Sunday, April the 17th, race number four. I'm looking at the number eight in here, Lenny K, who is eight to one on the morning line. This is the Thorncliffe Stakes, hundred thousand dollars, five furlongs, five and a half on the synthetic. Lenny K. Tried the Grade 2 Kennedy Road last time out. I think you can put a line right through that race. Put a line through the the turf race going long. Then what's wrong with the rest of his form? And we can excuse that race because it was the end of his season. And that was back in November. And like many, we haven't seen him for a few months. But this is a barn that's plenty capable of getting a horse ready to fire off the bench. Lenny K has some... Will probably be more mid-pack in here, especially at five and a half furlongs, isn't quite as quick, but he's got a little bit more speed than he was able to show in his last few. So don't be shocked if if he's fresh 
and they try to get a little bit more pace out of him, and he's able to sit, you know, third or fourth in here. That's what I'm hoping with the eight. Lenny K, who's eight to one, we'll make a win wager on him if we can get anything around five. The other play for me at Woodbine is going to be in race number six, optional 40 here. These are three year olds and up. I'm looking at the four. I'm a Chi two. That last race was not a bad third place finish after a slow start. Kind of got bumped around a little bit. The two back race is the one I really like. November the 12th, there were two next out winners that day. Silent Runner came back to win $100,000 stakes out of that. The number four, I'm a Chi two. I'm going to use in all exotics. I'll make a win wager. If we can get anything around four to one, she is uh, six to one on the morning line there. So two plays we're looking at Woodbine on Sunday. Best of luck there for Woodbine this weekend, Saturday and on Sunday. Let's head on over to Santa Anita and dish out a few plays for Sunday to close this up. A big thanks again to Eric for helping us out talking NBA and for Dave coming on twice this week, double duty this week. Dave Handelin helped us preview the Timberwolves playing game and preview all the playing games and then came back, recapped that game and helped us preview the Timberwolves Grizzlies series and then some thoughts on all the other series. Great stuff from the both of them. Let's finish up with Santa Anita Sunday. Sunday, April the 17th for Santa Anita. We're going to look at races 3, 4, 7, and 8. Third race is a Calbred optional 50 first level allowance going a mile on the turf course here. I thought the 4 Rocky Gibraltar. A little bit interesting, going to stretch out for the first time. This one has a couple races going six and a half, another six furlong turf sprint. Now we'll go to the mile, and I think just watching visually, it should fit him pretty well. He hopped at the start a little bit in his last race. He was 10 lengths off. He moved to the inside, and he really did show some good late energy there. Rocky Gibraltar gets Juan Hernandez to jump aboard. Three to one on the morning line. I'm going to treat him like an early exotic single in the pick five. In, uh, in race number three. Let's move along to race number four. There are two horses I like in this maiden special weight race that I would want to use in all exotics. Maybe you, you know you single Rocky Gibraltar and you can use these two in the pick five and you know, spread around in the others or however you want to play it. QB1 for Richard Mandela. Just a horse who got outrun, got bumped around in the debut, ran into a pretty tough field on December the 26th, came back on March the 27th after a few months off and Showed some improvement, was a little bit better that day. I think he's learned a lot from his two races. Now he'll be second start going long. He's not really fast, so that's why I think the more racing will really help him. QB1, on the flip side, will also use Union Train. Union Train's going to get Lasix for the first time. He ran right up onto the heels of a the horse in the front on the first turn, but he ended up getting to the two-path in a really good spot. He finished second that day. It was not a bad effort at all. He's going to get Lasix for the first time. Drawn well towards the outside. Union Train will be using 3 and 7 in all exotics. Moving on to race number 7. Mile on the turf course. Optional 80 non-2s. There are a couple that I want to use. I'll probably be including Shore Break in some exotics. But I really thought New Heat was a lot better in that very same race. New Heat was dead last early on. 12 lengths off. And was chasing a horse that won that was a lone speed winner. And New Heat moved to the inside, then went from inside out. Widest of all, closed very well late. It was actually wrapped up on. The horses who finished first, third, and fourth in that race were all close up early. New Heat was the only one who legitimately made up some ground in there. 
So I'll be using New Heat, the number five, at four to one, and possibly even as a late exotic single. And we'll use the uh, we'll use Shore Break underneath in some of those exotics. Finishing up Santa Anita for Sunday, we'll look at the three Susie Q's brother. Just put a line through the turf race last time out. And now you look back at a two two starts back in a really productive race behind a couple next out winners. You see Crash Corrigan a couple times there. And this course maybe just not be that good, as good as Crash Corrigan. So live races, turf line through last time out. A horse who has a little bit of speed. That January 30th mile race where they showed a little tactical speed. Now you turn back to go seven furlongs. I like where Susie Q's brother's going to be sitting in here. 12 to 1 on the morning line. Anything around 8 to 1 will make a win wager there. That is Santa Anita for Sunday, April the 17th. Good luck this weekend. Uh, Enjoy the NBA games. Good luck in all the racing plays and all your wagers. And we'll be back with you next week with some Moon Knight early on in the week and we'll take a look at some of uh, midweek and some racing later on into the week we'll keep talking everything going on in the world of baseball and we'll catch up with the first weekend of the NBA playoffs have a fantastic weekend folks